Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your also and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, I just stumbled over your name. Why did I stumble over your name? Guys, Kate's drunk. A little bit. Okay, so so basically, listeners, it's my sister's birthday, which means that as, you know, because my sister is a teacher um, who has a only part-time secondary job over the summer, and theoretically, recording day is a day that I don't work, which means I only worked a little bit. We've been day drinking for a while, um, but I'm going to try to keep this not too sloppy. Hopefully, y'all can let me know. She's super snookered at 5 p.m. her time, everyone. <laughs> oh, the joys of being. Well, I can't even say I'm underemployed because I work way too many hours to be underemployed. It's a day off. It's a day off. Anyways, that being said, um, I'm making up somewhat for the last couple weeks because last couple weeks, I, I've been very busy with work. I haven't been able to watch much, and I have... Like, I'd seen, like, four episodes of anything, five, maybe the last couple weeks. This week, Noel, there is too much TV. There is. And you watched, like, all of it. I I felt really bad on Sunday when I looked at our our little document and go to see that you had watched everything on the documents thus far within the week. And I just went, well, I feel really lazy. Well, no, I had watched the (laughs) stuff that you watch. I had yet to watch, like, two episodes of Orphan Black and three episodes of Doctor Who and... All that stuff. Um, no, uh, Noel is just being far too kind. Um, I Yes, I caught up this week. So, you know, and Noel always watches, you know, a ridiculous amount of TV, and I usually do and was able to this week. So we have too many shows to talk about, which is why we're going to keep the top of the show here pretty brief. Um, uh, we should mention, though, welcome back, Cassandra, who caught up with the podcast. <laughs> she did. <laughs> Glad to hear I, that. Yeah, I saw that tweet and just went... We recorded that, like, a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she had listened to our Supergirl uh, finale uh, discussion with Dr. Elizabeth Bridges. Because um, Zandra was behind her in her viewing, so she didn't want to listen oh, to anything. That, that's, that makes sense. Yeah. Because there's, there's an important, like, hierarchy there. And if you haven't watched the shows yet, maybe don't listen to our conversations about it. Uh, which ties in, of course, this week. Last week we didn't talk about the Handmaid's Tale finale because we knew that this week on the podcast we'd be joined by Angelica Jade Bastien, who you people will know from Vulture. And she's been recapping um, the Handmaid's Tale for New York Times. And she's everywhere right now, guys. It's, it's pretty fantastic. Um, Angelica was unable to join both of us due to scheduling. So there's a conversation with the two of, with myself and Angelica at the end of the show, talking about the handmaid's tale, this season, some of the implications of it and what worked, what didn't, as well as like tying into some of the articles she's been writing about the season, which I'll link in the show notes here. Um, that's going to be the end of the show. We didn't talk about handmaid's tale last week because we knew we'd be talking about it this week. Similarly, we're going to keep things brief on American gods this week. Because we're planning knock on wooden things to talk about it more next week with friend with one of the friends of the show. So, um, yeah. That being said, there's still too much TV. Yes, Noel. So much TV. So much TV. So we're gonna dive right in, uh, listen to some music, and be right back with our week in comedy and reality. The only truth you have is that you're living a lie And if time won't free the pain you've held hostage in your mind Fear not 
makeup on your face is a mask to hide behind And your body is a war zone, battle scars upon your thighs Fear not, my love And if the skin your soul embodies doesn't seem to fit quite right And you hate what their God gave you comedy and reality noel's going to talk about part three of the ranch is this season three is this season one part like what's the deal they're just doing parts they're not even it's not classified as a season they're just doing parts 10 episode parts okay that's season three that's what i'm I'm, that's season three trying to get around contract (laughs) negotiations as far as i'm concerned we'll also talk just very briefly about the return of wrecked on tbs uh they had two episodes this week ransom and poison uh then we'll talk together about last week tonight with john oliver and full frontal with samantha b before we move over to reality for the return of the great british baking show we have we had cakes and biscuits this this week what season are they on what are they calling it on pbs at least it's technically season four on PBS, but it's season seven uh, for the British version. So it's like the last full final British version. Right. Season. Correct. Okay. Like, yes. Yeah. Okay. Then we'll talk some RuPaul's Drag Race reunion. Um, and I know what you're thinking, listeners. They said they weren't going to talk about it this week. We weren't going to. And then you know, as you'll see as when we get there. Um, so we'll, we'll then move on quickly to some premieres we had this week, which was Hollywood Game Night came back, Beat vs. The Walking Dead, and The Gong Show came back after I don't even know how many, like, decades off the air? A couple of decades, yeah. At least, at it, was least... Still on, it was still on in the 80s. Okay, okay. Fair enough. A few decades. Um, Will Arnett, Ken Jeong, and Zach Galifianakis. Um, I'll talk briefly about this so you think you can dance. Um, first two episodes while we're co- you know having a conversation about those reality shows, competition shows. Um, and we'll, we'll round out the segment with uh, Independent Lens, which had an hour-long short film or documentary, Real Boy. So that's coming at the end of the segment. But first up is The Ranch. So, Noel, talk to me about The Ranch. Are, are, is there still that interesting juxtaposition of this feels like it is a like filmed live studio audience sitcom but then they swear or have they moved on to new things no it's still pretty much that and the novelty still hasn't really worn off in part because like i've discussed before um the actors are all just really game for everything i mean elliot and winger are both still really really good which is to be expected um but they find a number of actors uh to come in and play quasi love interests for Elliot, both all of whom are really, really good. Um, and if I, you know, anticipated discussing them, I would have looked up their names, but really good character actresses, uh, that you see in a lot of stuff who also just don't get a lot of work anymore. So that's been good. Um, but it's, it's probably also their weakest part so far, I think, uh, in part because I wanted them to kind of push things forward a little bit in terms of what they were going to do. So, like, in part two, they had um, uh, Valderrama uh, Wilbur, come on. Yeah, Wilmer Valderrama. Uh, come on as Umberto. Um, and it was it was good. Like, they had a little of that 70s show reunion, and it was fun. But he's over at NCIS now. So <laughs> he can't come over and play on the ranch anymore. So they had to, like, write him off by having him be an illegal immigrant. And that both of the brothers ended up getting to a fight in a bar that uh, Valderrama's character got involved with, so he ended up getting deported because the brothers were idiots. 
And there's not really a huge repercussion for that kind of a thing on the show anyway. It's just a way to write off his character. And I, I kept, like, wanting some discussion about illegal immigration, and there's a little bit of it in, like, he's very American. He has a house that he can't afford to pay for. That What's more American than that? <laughs> and it's a very good joke. Um, but it there's no, like, continuation of the fallout from it, which was kind of frustrating. Similarly, um, Ashton Kutcher's character, um, Colt, um, his girlfriend, Heather, is pregnant, um, that, that was the cliffhanger for part two was her revelation that she was pregnant just as he had, uh, decided to really kind of commit to Eliza Cuthbert's character. Who's just, she's just in a zone this, in this part. She's really, really good this season and it's really, really impressive, but there's like a couple episodes where there's just like, is she going to get an abortion? How do, how does Colt feel about this is the main thrust of it to which we all go. Yeah, but how does Heather feel about this? <laughs> and Heather does say how she feels about it and why she's doing it. And then she ends up deciding to keep it. And so then the discussion becomes one about, well, what does our family unit look like if I'm going to stay committed to uh, Liza Cuthbert's character, but I really want to make sure that I can support this child? Like, so what are our dynamics? How do we respond and relate to one another? And there's a decent conversation happening there, but I just kept wanting these things to go a little bit further than what they were necessarily doing. And this is a show that, because of its, like, kind of more theatrical nature, can make space for that. And they just decided not to, and I just kind of go, but these are really interesting questions that you don't necessarily get to see in a sitcom like this with characters like this in this ranching area of Montana. So I wanted more from it. Um, and there's like some stuff with uh, Danny Masterson's character and that character is just kind of going in circles. Uh, but overall, it's still an interesting show, but this was, I think probably their weakest and least interesting part thus far. Season. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, apparently, I'm going to be a stickler about that, Noel. I don't know why. Yeah. No. That's that's totally fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, at least Eliza Cuthbert's getting some some interesting stuff to play. So that's yeah. like of, of all the things that you said, that is the one that makes me actually want to check it out the most. <laughs> she's like she struggles in the first season, but mm-hmm. like season two and season three, she and especially this season, she finds a really good groove. That it's mm-hmm. it's it's a really good performance. Okay, noted. Yeah. Um, we'll see if I if I find a little space for that later on the summer. I, I I have I don't know if you've noticed this, but I have made a page in our shared like document thing of mm-hmm. shows to catch up on. It's depressingly long. Oh, I I I, I haven't seen that, but I will look for it when we when when we get done. <laughs> yeah, have fun with that. Uh, let's move on to our next show, and that's Wrecked, uh, which is which came back for season two on TBS. We were bigger fans of season one than I think like anybody else i talked to we really enjoyed it it's true (laughs) well i think yeah it's not that we thought it was the funniest show ever it's just that nobody else talked about it at all um how did you feel about these first two episodes ransom and poison i liked it i I liked that they didn't really change up dynamics too quickly with the pirates and i also like the fact that the pirates weren't going to be like a quick resolve sort of thing which Mm -hmm. i was kind of worried about like it's just like oh they're gonna show up and then they're gonna leave after like two three episodes and i think they're like here to stay for a while and i'm excited about that the prospects of those dynamics playing out particularly with the barracuda who is terrific and has a very different energy from literally everyone else on the show 
So I think I still think things are really funny on Wrecked. Um, I like just the small little gags, like trying to get a sweaty T-shirt off. Yeah, and how difficult that is, <laughs> and it's it's a very good out act out joke, but it's also just a very good joke in general. So I think there's plenty to like, and even like the inf- the insistence on keeping like a lost esque structure with like flashbacks and everything, or even just a capitalistic father figure. And just all this sort of stuff that maybe there's a search going on. I haven't given up. And all this kind of stuff is like, again, like we said last season, all of this should feel really stale. And yet it doesn't really feel stale. And I really appreciate that. So how did you feel about it? It wasn't as funny as I would have liked it to be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And maybe it's just that it's suffering in comparison to a much strengthened Angie Tribeca season three. Yeah, sure. But, uh, and also, did they do those flashbacks last season and I just forgot about them? I think that there were a couple last season. I want to say there were, but I legitimately do not remember. I feel like this was a change for season two. Like, the flashbacks to to pack as the agent and everything. It was definitely the first time we'd seen that stuff for him. And maybe we saw it for some of the other characters last season, and I just don't remember. But I don't have any like uh, certainly we hadn't for our, our secondary lead because we didn't know he was his family was rich until this episode like the, i feel the like he finale. said that though right yeah he said it and yeah anyways the point being yeah. um that that <laughs> was a little bit like like i can see why it gives them so much more room to run with and, and so much yeah. more creative creative like opportunities but it was a little bit like oh we're just gonna go straight for lost then because one of the things that was nice about the first season it was less of a direct lost parallel or or, or parody i should say than maybe we expected like there was certainly that was there but there were other things things as well as more of a generic spoof um so that was a little bit disappointing even though they were fun (laughs) flashbacks bringing bringing chris bosh in and and writing like writing them into a new parallel like current timeline, yes. I thought was a really fun thing to do. Um, but I do agree, the Barracuda is awesome. Such a fun character to introduce. And uh, I mean, I just like the thing with with Reese Darby's mustache, mm-hmm. and like he's clearly evil because he's maintained a clean, precise mustache on this island when everybody else has really varied stubble. Um, yeah. yeah, that was it was super fun, and I, I just love having again. I love having Reese Darby on my TV every week. Um, so so yeah, not as ground uh, shaking as maybe I would have liked, but solid. And uh, I look forward to more time with these characters and, the, and these actors. Yeah, me too. And just yeah, I, I I couldn't even get over the Barracuda's intro where it's just like yeah, badass on a jet ski, and then the jet ski craps out, and then she just shoots it and it explodes. And I'm just like, yes, <laughs> this is amazing. And then her two toadies going, they sold us a bad jet ski. <laughs> yeah, this this is a show that is very comfortable switching tones um very quickly for the yeah. joke and i appreciate that definitely uh let's talk a little bit about last week tonight and full frontal obviously full frontal had a very heightened very like talk about his comedically segment which was yeah. the words segment um but what went down with last week tonight this week so last week tonight i decided to discuss coal as an energy source specifically within the u.s and they focused uh, very uh, the latter half of the segment on Bob Murray, who heads up 
uh, Murray Energy Corp, as you might expect. And Murray is a major player on like conservative talking points and that kind of thing. If you watch Fox, you've seen him on Fox at some point. And they reached out to Murray Energy and were just like, so we're going to talk about you. If you want to like have a comment or anything, feel free to let us know. And the comment was, if you say anything about our CEO in any way, shape or form that he's even vaguely rude, we're going to sue you for defamation. And that's exactly what happened, is that uh, the Murray Energy Co Corp fire, filed a defamation lawsuit uh, in West Virginia uh, against uh, Oliver specifically, and then last week tonight uh, as the program. So two people named in the lawsuit, basically. And it's just like, well, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. I look forward to them trying to prove that anything they said was not just true. Mm-hmm. That's always the, my, the fun part. Like, you had to prove that they were spreading false information about you and that it was harming your, your career opportunities and such. Like, Which is yeah. difficult to say when you're the CEO of a company named after yourself. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I'm, try, I'm just like trying to remember back. and It's been several days, don't get me wrong, because I watched this like Monday morning. But I'm not remembering anything inflammatory at all that they could possibly legitimately have a suit about. Yeah, and I can't think of anything off the top of my head either. Um, and the company released in a statement that it was... Uh, and they called this a broadcast, which I was also immediately like, technically, guys, not a broadcast, because not over, like, it's not a broadcast. It's HBO. It's different. Mm -hmm. um, but it was also just, like, severely and destructively impact Mr. Murray, as well as coal mining itself. Yeah. So they're out there not only defending him, but coal mining. But all to of which coal. I think all of coal. And it's just like, um, no, they just demonstrated some issues with coal that are fairly well documented. Um, and that the administration maybe doesn't really care about these voters. <laughs> I am shocked, Noel. Shocked at such a spurious claim like you would you would you would make that accusation that perhaps the trump administration doesn't actually care about various elements of its constituency eh, we're fake news which yeah. leads us into sam b <laughs> it does so i i like i like as i was watching this episode and they went to their black and white like alt reality thing that they did for the second you know, half of the show, I was wanting to text you, like, while I was watching it, like, you gotta watch this so we can talk about it. It is so fun and weird and stupid and also awesome. I really enjoyed this. How did you feel about it? I liked it a lot, too. I appreciated, like, the chorus of folks. Um, and the, the black rhythms. turtlenecks. <laughs> right, the black turtlenecks, all very, um, uh, black box theater-esque. And so, no, I appreciate it. I liked the aesthetics of it, but also it was a good change of pace for the show to tackle the sort of double speak of the administration, but also how the press kind of goes into it or like goes insane trying to go. But no, this but the, please explain what this means. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and everyone going, it means what it means. And that's just like, that's not the answer. <laughs> And so I really appreciate it. And it came at a really good time. I think that they probably had this in the pipeline for a little while, but I think the White House's decision to do a number of press briefings without any sort of recording devices allowed um, is a good way to 
I think that ended up being vaguely serendipitous um, because the sheer amount of like graphic work that went into this had to have been planned for a little while. So this was just a really good way of um, dealing with the administration's language authoritarian tendencies. And it was very funny and very on point. And I always appreciate any segment that has Don Lemon being very frustrated. (laughs) Yeah, they had good uh, clips from CNN and such. Like, they they Mm -hmm. chose wisely for that, I thought. And it was fun. It was a nice, and like you said, it was a very nice and a very welcome change of pace. Because it has, like, it's something that these shows must really struggle with, both last week tonight and also and also full frontal of how do you continue to make week to week comedy about a situation that is in some ways constantly changing with the with the unending news cycle and right. new things leaked every two seconds. But on a larger scale, in many ways this is the exact same issues that you keep coming back as a core you know, talking point is a core issue you you want to discuss about freedom of the press, about uh, the deterioration of democratic norms, and these different issues that both shows are have been addressing during throughout the Trump administration. So I thought, like you said, it was it was funny. It was the correct amount of time, not yes. too short, not too long, and it was a very welcome change in approach to a conversation we've all been having for months. Right. And I, I, I think your point about them trying to find different ways to do this is really on point, in part because that's 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 really the struggle with it is like it's a very unending march of the same thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> but just like steady escalation of it. And I think that's one of the things like you see in some of the other late night stuff, um, like with Colbert and Myers in particular, where it's just like, yeah, we th- we. Th- we we're just kind of increasingly immune to the ridiculousness because it's like, oh, what did he do today? Is mm-hmm. basically the response. It's not, or in some cases, it's what did he do this hour? Yeah, <laughs> and where where what what's going to happen over the course of the next six? And it's like five months in, <laughs> and we're just like, oh God. <sighs> Three, three and a half more years of this, at least. Pray for us. Pray for us. Yeah, yeah indeed. Um, any final thoughts on these two, or do you want to move over to reality? No, let's move over to reality and drink some tea in the shade. <laughs> great British. If, if there was ever a time that we needed the escape of the Great British Baking Show, right? Um, now, I watched this as it was airing in the UK. Sure. Because I am magic. And um, you are magic. So I know what goes down. So I'm going to stay rather mum. However, I can ask you, what do you think of this new batch of bakers? And Mm -hmm. how did it feel to be back in the tent? Especially Uh, especially knowing that this is our last 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 go in the tent. Yeah, right. No, I'm pretty excited about this this uh, batch of bakers. I'm Mm -hmm. very excited, even though I was also really happy that like Lee went home first because I was just like, dude. You're, you're not doing anything here. This yeah. is not working out for you. And I also just very much wanted to have Tom's G&T drizzle cake. Because, right? oh my god, Kate. I don't care that it, apparently he didn't cook off any of the gin. Yeah. It's like, that's, it's like, that's, that's a feature, sign me not up. a bug. Exactly. <laughs> um, that's how that works. And I'm okay with that. I don't care that you came in 10th in the technical making Jaffa cakes, which is a good challenge, I think, for a technical. Yeah, right? Um, it's a very good challenge for a technical, I think. So I've, I really enjoyed that. 
um like and then biscuits is another solid episode um that i i enjoyed as people were kind of struggling to make the the viennese whirls uh which Mm -hmm. is just a lovely name that that episode made me sad because mel wasn't there for Mm. for to hear mary berry say i would like to eat some carpet (laughs) (laughs) i i feel like mel really Uh, thank you for going there sorry sorry not mel but sue not being there and uh just like i have to just imagine that sue was really upset not to be there that week she probably watched the episode and went why was i not here (laughs) yeah what she was, was American. I, what was I doing that was more important? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what she was doing, but um, I'm sure she regretted it. Um, so early front runners so far. Um, Candace, obviously, because that gingerbread pub was amazing, but also because her glasses and lipstick are on I was gonna point. Say, her lipstick like, game is super on point. Yeah. God, it's like disgusting how good it is. It <laughs> really is. Um, so I really like I really like what she's doing. Um Slassy, 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 mm-hmm. uh, is like just I don't understand how that man is so calm, like yeah. all the time. Like in two episodes already, I'm just like, why are you so calm? Things, things are kind of collapsing around you, but you seem really calm, dude. And I dig it. I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel like that's going to carry him pretty far. So those are the two that are like really standing out for me right now. Um, so I'm, I'm eager to watch bread, which is, I feel like kind of the episode in which we get a really good sense of everyone because bread is a always my favorite episode, Mm -hmm. but because I love bread, um, (laughs) but it's also like, it's where Paul just gets really mean to everyone. And I always appreciate when Paul gets really mean. Um, so yeah, but I, I enjoy the bread challenges and I feel like those are tend to be make or break type of episodes where we really get to see things and so i'm excited to watch bread uh today or tonight because i'm not gonna have time to watch it like saturday so Mm -hmm. i'm i'm excited i'm excited um so how did you like do you remember how you were feeling last year when these episodes aired like after these first two at all Uh, or yeah no I, i thought i remember like my take on the season is that it's not quite as gangbusters as season six or series the, the previous one sure and what could be because that season's amazing it's a very good season of tv um the baking i think is is pretty good there isn't as far as i'm concerned a single baker that stands out more than some mm-hmm. than i think really any of the previous seasons but there are some personalities and some uh, TV presences that I think are very striking, and I will leave that to you to discover who some of them are. And mm-hmm. spoiler alert: you've mentioned at least one of them already. <laughs> um, so, so like, well, like, if, if I have to pick a season where I was like, I want to eat all of those winning bakes, probably yep. not the season. Sure, sure. But I certainly enjoyed the process, and it was very bittersweet watching, knowing, knowing, right, what that it was going to be the end. Um, and there also, I should mention, there is a ser- series of um, like Christmas specials mm-hmm. that they they filmed after this season that you're watching right now. So there are a couple more, but yeah, knowing that we're heading towards the end is very bittersweet, mm-hmm. uh, which can be delicious paired with the yeah. gin and tonic, you know, <laughs> drizzle cake. But um, certainly. Yeah, it, it, it's. I'm gonna miss it when it's gone, and uh, then you'll, you'll soon. In only a handful of weeks, you'll be in the same boat as me on right. that one, Noel. Yeah, um, I think you make an excellent point about bread. Uh, the bread episode tends, like you said, it tends to separate the you know the adults from the children, and and that's because 
it's very common for people to like make birthday cakes for their family. Right. It's less common for people to break to bake different kinds of bread all the time. Right. So usually the people who do who are comfortable playing in that sphere uh, either have more depth and breadth than the other competitors, or maybe that's just they're just a bread person. Um, so so it tends to be a lot more fun. And like you said, it it highlights how important it is to have a judge who understands, appreciates, and can articulate the specifics of the demands of a particular challenge. And I feel like that's a perfect segue over to So You Think You Can Dance because this season, the show's back, and I know you haven't seen it, Noel, but the show's back, and this season, instead of Jason Derulo, because Jason Derulo is no longer one of their judges, and yay to that because I don't think he was a good judge, they brought in Vanessa Hudgens. Now, you may remember, Noel, I really appreciate Vanessa Hudgens, if, if only for the fact that she went on for Grease Live, like, the day after her dad died and she did a really terrific job and she's insanely likable and charming. We both liked her on powerless. Mm -hmm. Um, She is a terrible judge so far on. So you think you can dance and that's because she, they've decided either she or the show has decided to slot her into the supportive, nice judge who doesn't have anything to say, Mm -hmm. who just goes, I really liked your energy up there. You could tell that you really love to dance. Like everybody here, Loves to dance. Everybody auditioning and, like, flying in from different parts of the country or different parts of the world to -hmm. audition for So You Think You Can Dance loves to dance. Have something to contribute. Don't, like, I don't, maybe they need to fly Christina Applegate in so she can, like, show her how it's done. (laughs) She still, she remains the best guest judge that show has ever done and needs to just, like, at least once a season I need to see her on, even though I don't, I kind of doubt they'll bring her on this season, but... It would be nice. Anyways, I was really rooting for her. I enjoy mm-hmm. her quite a bit. She's such a strong... She has a lot of presence. She really pops on the screen. Right. If she knew any technical information or was willing to impart any significant or meaningful critiques, I would be right behind her immediately again. But it's. I'm very glad Mary Murphy is back. Nigel, oh, I yeah. have my issues with. Um, right. But I'm very let down in these first two episodes. By Vanessa Hudgens, and if she's just going to be a waste of a judging seat, then it's going to make it a lot harder to keep watching this season. So we'll see whether I stick with it. I don't know. Have you had have you had any interest in so you think you can dance? I mean, we discussed a little bit uh, my history with the show when they did the kids season. Yeah, and we were like, no, right, and we were both very much like, this is this is weird, and no, um, and yeah, so this is a show that I tend to like. I'll watch if like someone else is in the room and watching it. I am happy to watch it. I will not like sigh or roll my eyes or like make Mm -hmm. comments about it. Uh, But it's not a show that I ever like go. This is something I'm going to watch right now because it's a season recording. Right. And it's never something where I go, Oh, right. It's starting back. It's not in my headspace at all. So I, I I always sort of like enjoy like the audition episodes a little bit more than the actual um, choreographed um, competition sections, mm-hmm. uh, just because those are a little more freeform in a lot of ways. And I really appreciate like the larger variety that gets represented in the audition process. Yeah. So being able to see different aspects of dance um, through the audition process is really interesting and exciting for me. Uh, as and that tends to be like where my interests kind of stops yeah fair enough 
fair enough. And and based on what I've seen in these first two episodes, I cannot recommend that you go running <laughs> off to seek it out. Um, but I can recommend you go, and even our listeners go running to seek out the reunion episode of this season of RuPaul's Drag Race because Noel. Yeah. The shade. Yeah, I watched this before you did, and I, I almost texted you, and I was going to be like, Kate, you, I know we weren't going to talk about the reunion episode, but we may need to talk about the reunion episode. <laughs> and, and I saw that you had seen it, and that's the yeah. only reason I watched it. And then I texted right. you the moment that it like started going down. I was like, oh my god, thank you for watching this. Yeah, or I no. wouldn't have. Because, like we had sort of discussed in the text, is that this season overall, and you and I had discussed this a little bit as we'd gone through each season, was that the season was generally pretty positive in the workroom. Um, and generally pretty supportive of one another. This it wasn't until the end when Trinity was just like, guys, we need to we need to start like actually competing maybe because there's there's things to win and I'd like <laughs> to win them. Yeah. And then the reunion episode happens and she's like, oh, you guys were just repressing all of this stuff for the cameras, or the edits just took everything out and saved it because everyone is very shady <laughs> in in this. And it's just, it's delicious. It's so good. And, and I think what it is, is because I was thinking about this as I was watching it. There's a bunch of shade being thrown, but it's all very direct. Yeah. It's all very, like, there's no tinging and, and these really intense, like, alliances and, right. uh, like, emotional things coming into play. It's people trying to spin stuff that they did. Yes. And other people or being like. Or things that their fans did. Or things that their fans did and everybody else being like no that's a bunch of bullshit and here's why here's what we experienced here's what we saw here's what went down online what you're here's saying is not trap, true bitch. exactly and it, so it was it was this really fascinating combination of super shade but also just very matter of fact yeah very like and, and almost because the season wasn't shady, there weren't people who were going to, like, let stuff slide because they had been shading themselves. They right. had been, like, you know, scheming on the side. Like, I thought it was I thought it was just really fascinating and, well, very entertaining, but also just really interesting to watch the dynamics of the different queens when somebody's like, well, see, but, like, really, this happened and I was injured at the time. They're like, well, okay, but you weren't, according oh, to anybody else. Charlie, come on. And that, like, if that was the case, then how come you didn't have any trouble with this, this, that, and the other? Like, they were not letting, willing to let anything slide, and I loved it as a viewer. Right. As a viewer, I loved it. Right, and I mean, even that degree of everything slide is just like, we're going to rename Miss Congeniality because that is some bullshit. Because she <laughs> is not congenial, and, and like, oh my god, like the, 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 it's so, so manufactured and so fake, and so like, don't get me wrong, Valentina deserves to win something for, for her right. work this season. Yes. But when they're like, yeah, okay, you might be fan favorite, but you have not been congenial at all. at all you've been yeah. a horrible sister and very very self-centered in all of the way this has gone down so no we re we revoke that title you can still get the money you can still get the the tiara and the the sash and whatever but you are not getting any like any award for congeniality when you've been horrible in your absence right and i think that's really fascinating is that um as someone who just largely Avo avoids and avoids but purposefully generally avoids fandom with anything i uh watch anymore um mm -hmm. the, the whole paratext 
of the social media for this show in particular, far more than really any other show, um, apart from maybe like some of the more soapier uh, reality shows like the Real Housewives type stuff. Um, but this show in particular, like the social media of it is so tapped into how the show functions. Um, and this whole separate thing that it's just really fascinating that this became such a large centerpiece of this discussion. And I think that's really interesting because for an aud- for a much more, I'll just say devoted audience because that's what it is. Cause I'm less, de- I'm not devoted enough to like follow the social media stuff. I follow the show and it took you all season to get me to watch untucked. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that's, 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 that's the thing is like my engagement with the show pretty much ends when my DVR recording cuts off. So to see that, but also for an, the audience of the show to be able to know, yes, we need to talk about that is really interesting and that there there's room made for that and it's legitimate within this show's context. And I think that's really cool and really, really interesting. Yeah. Well, and so, like, the reunion episode is always the most boring. And, like, you watch it maybe to find out who gets, like, the favorite person who's not in the finale prize. Like, that's the right. only reason to watch if you're particularly invested they're never memorable they're never interesting and then this season it's like they came to play yes yeah they totally did yeah oh god it was it was i'm like i said earlier thank you for watching noel because if (laughs) i hadn't seen your initials next to that episode i would not have like prioritized it immediately in my viewing like i did so it was i told and i and i told my sister who she's behind on 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 drag race um, I told her it's like you need okay, but you need to watch the reunion this season because it is it is intense. There's some <laughs> and like when they shut the the library, I was like, oh come on, just let Eureka keep those glasses. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see what happens next season. I'm looking forward to her her being back, especially with enough time to observe how she's presented and right. and then theoretically adjust any you know particular elements to fit the next season we'll see how that goes down but we should move on because again there's too much tv so returning we had hollywood game night this week veep versus walking dead and we also had returning after a couple decades hiatus uh, a few decades decades hiatus i should say the gong show on abc uh will arnett ken jeong and zach galifianakis now noel i've talked about hollywood game night in the past it's certainly a show i enjoy as someone who has a very big place in my heart for games and board games and word games and party games and anything that's competitive, um, uh, I I was very I, I enjoyed the premiere. I thought it was a good return for the show. I look forward to talk. I was like when you I saw that you had seen it. I was like, oh yay, we can talk <laughs> about the some of the changes to the season. However, despite my affinity for all of that, none of that was going to get me to watch the gong show after the little bits I had heard about it. I would be very curious here to hear your thoughts on these two shows and, you know, what whether you enjoyed the gong show coming back and, and what works and doesn't work for you about these two shows. Sure. So I've I've always really enjoyed Hollywood Game Night. Um, and I had to, like, do math to remind myself that, it, yes, it is actually f- the fifth season. Um, cause I felt like it was like third or fourth, but not yeah. fifth. But then I had to like do math in my head because like I had done a very brief blurb for it when it premiered for tv.com and, um, like slight, like bat back petting is like, they actually quoted it in like a promo. 
um yeah. later on um and but it was just like one of those things where i just went oh okay well i so i've always enjoyed the show but it was also something like seasons three and four i just didn't watch i don't know why it was just like they well, weren't in my schedule i think and definitely when they put summer. them on right yeah there's no telling um yeah. And especially like last year when I was moving, it was just like you, you, you were here. I didn't watch anything last summer, <laughs> um, so I was happy to come back to it because um, it's all, it's such a fun show and like the how especially when the celebrities get into it, and mm-hmm. that's that's really a make or breaker for the episode is when the celebrities get into it because if they're not into it or if they're just kind of not, they're kind of like yeah, but the, no, like these. They were pretty into it in this episode, so I really enjoyed it. I liked some of the new games, like the the tower stacking with the the degrees things. I thought was really fun. Plus, the th- fact that it exploded onto people all the time. Yeah. Was just... <laughs> well, when you get it wrong, yeah, right. But I mean, that's just a good choice because it just adds so much stress to that one person who keeps screwing up. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry, lady from The Walking Dead, but it's true. It was very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I really enjoyed having Hollywood Game Night back in the rotation. Um, mm-hmm. Gong Show is something I'm only semi passingly familiar with. I've watched um, stuff of it on YouTube, and I've seen Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Um, <laughs> is basically my experience with the Gong Show. Um, yeah, this feels yeah. right. Yeah. So I I don't know how relevant the Gong Show is really in an age in which like people can put up their weird shit on the internet and maybe go viral with it, or at least get some sort of traction for it somehow or another, or hope for the best. Uh, so Weird Acts coming out to do like this kind of needling of a variety show, I think is still pretty timely, given the sheer amount of variety shows that we have to one degree or another. Um, but the Gong Show is still weird, and this show in particular, version of the show, is kind of weird. To say nothing of like Mike Myers's performance art as an established British comedian who doesn't actually exist in prior to the creation of the revitalization of the gong show in which Will Arnett is actually an executive producer is just really weird. And he doesn't do anything with it in the course of this first episode. And I kind of go, I appreciate your commitment to going under what's probably at least a couple of hours of makeup to do this. And I find it really fascinating that you've been a recluse basically since 2008 and you're coming back to do this. And I think that speaks volumes about why maybe like what the gong show meant to Myers but it's weird it doesn't really add anything when he's scripted when he's off script there's like little glimmers of something really interesting I think happening but there's nothing there within the first episode that makes me go I don't know why you guys chose to do this and I want an answer to that question (laughs) but there's not enough there um with it so it's not essential by any stretch of the imagination you didn't there's no reason for you to have sought this out or to have made time for it um apart from watching a guy in a yeti costume on a unicycle playing flaming bagpipes and then ending the bit with a cream banana cream pie to his face yeah no i heard something about a couple spitting chunks of banana into each other's mouths and i was like i'm good and then like at the end all of it Nashed up and back and forth a couple of times. Oh, they won no. though. They won. They good they for won, them. They won the two thousand bucks. And you better seven cents. Um, which I which I felt was appropriate. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 not super interesting. But one thing I do want to ask you about. Um, 
in relation to Hollywood Game Night, because for me, they started this in a lot of ways uh, five years ago, and everyone else sort of caught up, um, particularly Match last game year. And, yeah. Match Game, uh, To Tell the Truth, uh, mm-hmm. Hollywood Pyramid came back last year as well. And, yeah. Right, and then Gong Show this season is celebrities are coming to do panel shows and game shows again. And I find that really interesting. And they're not doing like Celebrity Jeopardy. Um, cause they actually, I feel like don't do celebrity jeopardy that often anymore, but everyone's coming to do these game shows. And I think some of it, like, at least just from a logistical point is Alec Baldwin coming and saying, Hey guys, come get hammered in a paycheck. And Sean Hayes calling folks and say, come play games with Jane Lynch and also get hammered. Maybe not too much. Cause apparently they don't get super drunk on Hollywood game night. They get really any, wasted on that. <laughs> yeah. Any, say. Anymore. <laughs> Okay, yeah. there you go. Because I I vaguely remember like Martin Short being pretty drunk one episode. <laughs> yeah, no, they, like it depends. It depends. Yeah. But yeah. the thing is that Sean Hayes, like in in his in his husband, like they they did game nights. Yeah, and that's right. where the idea sprang right. from. So they had a, a group of you know celebrity people they could draw on that they knew liked this stuff and were good at them to yeah. start and would enjoy this kind of thing. I think it's also just a very straightforward. And if you have any sort of like, if you're suited to this at all, yeah, that it's a really easy way for people to get a better sense of you to, for them to like you, mm-hmm. especially if you're good at this stuff and you don't present as a jerk, people are going to, you know, it, it builds your brand. It, it's a yeah. really easy way to connect with other people, which is why that they came to prominence in the first place. Right. It's, it's like it kept, kept Betty White in checks for decades, you know? Yeah, so many decades. So, like, like it makes sense. And, and they've been, panel shows have been huge in, like, like especially over in the UK. For, right. Like, forever. Years still. To yeah. this day. Yeah. And so yeah. it just sort of just in the U.S. that they kind of went out of fashion for a while. Um, I always appreciate on, on Hollywood Game Night the people who are invested because, yes, you might win some money for charity. Mostly you're there to promote yourself. But for the person on the end of the couch who's not famous, $25,000 means a lot. So any celebrity who's there who doesn't give who doesn't give their all, I get really, really frustrated with. Sure, because- Absolutely. I'm, I'm like, you should give your civilian 25 grand because you just lost this for them. Um, but anybody who is actually invested in is there to have fun and, and serious about it. I always enjoy basically everyone be Yvette Nicole Brown and then we're good. All right. Yeah. I like she wants people to win money. Yeah. All the time. I'm very invested in Yvette Nicole Brown. Like <laughs> I, just as, as a community performer in general. Yes. Uh, right. She's a beautiful singing voice. But also because when she comes... On Hollywood Game Night, you know, they, they always have to program her against, like, Rosie O'Donnell or somebody else who's sure. who's very good. And also, yeah, very also good very, and very yeah. competitive. Yeah. Um, this this episode, I had to particularly commend the Veep crew, and I was listening to the Show and Yell podcast, which is, I'm pretty sure, the only Hollywood Game Night podcast out there. It's just hosted by, over at Previously.TV, um, and they, it's hosted by two hosts who who are very competitive and know their party mm-hmm. games and like a good party game who are, I feel like probably the event Nicole Browns of their social circles. Sure. <laughs> um, and so I relate to that and appreciate that. But um, what they said that I thought was an excellent point is that the Veep crew has more improv comedians and to be an improv comedian, you need to really listen. Right. Which is why Matt Walsh killed it. 
as as one of the teammates and and also Tony Hale and Anna Klumsky, they all did a good job, but like especially Matt Walsh. And well, I, he couldn't he couldn't hold Jane Lynch's balls. We, like he like, really struggled holding those balls. It was hilarious. It was so fun. Like they give him these two like golden Vib- fuzzy vibrate. Right. And then like we're gonna give you this 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 fuzzy hairy vibrating ball to put Tribble. Yeah. in between these other two balls that you're already <laughs> holding suggestively. And like whoever thought that up, like <laughs> oh my god, the way that they managed to make and and it's also Walsh too with his like yeah. ability to play on that to yes and but like it's filthy and also <laughs> hilarious and also totally innocent at the same time i thought that right. was an excellent addition to the to the the list of games i also thought building a pool for them to smash the buzzer was yes. a very smart move and made that a much more vis- visually interesting game yeah. and also like because before it was always sort of like an awkward jump out of the seat yes which yeah. could be fun but then some celebrities weren't willing to do i felt like they got much more into it when they launched into the pool Right, right. And there's a degree of, like, also not tripping and hurting yourself yes. when you're launching into the ball pit. It's a good yes. insurance move. But I, I, I appreciate it also that Lynch was very much in introducing the game. It's just like, we've retooled this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To make it more interesting, basically. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we did it with a ball pit. And it's just like, everything's more interesting than a ball pit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I had a lot of fun, and I'm sorry, nothing you're saying about the Gong Show makes oh, me want to no, check it out. No, there's no reason for you to check out the Gong Show. I may watch a couple more episodes just to see what happens with Myers more than anything. Yeah. Um, but also, like, Elizabeth Banks is on next week, and I'm very excited about that because she's delightful. Yeah. But I'm just sort of like, meh, 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 type to the Gong Show. In general. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, well, a show I know that we're, neither one of us is, meh, meh about is uh, Independent Lens. This week, they had uh, about an hour-long documentary called Real yeah. Boy, uh, which charted the progress of a transgender teen into 20-something. Uh, mm-hmm. As he is, he just basically didn't, it wasn't about him and his transition. It was about him and his relationship with his mother. Yes. And I thought that was such a fantastic approach to take. Um, and it, I, I found it to be a really affecting and interesting hour so i'm really glad that you you added this to our list because i would not have sought it out right and i think this was their season their season finale and they've had independent lens has had just a really really good season this year um i tweeted a couple of recommendations um about it and um from this season previously and i'm trying to find like the real boy website so i get this some of these names correct and um, but so they've done a couple of really good episodes this year in particular, but uh, real boy was a really good cap, I think to it. And I, I, I wanted another hour and I don't often get to say that about a lot of these independent lens documentaries because most of them feel really well self-contained. Some of them are like 90 minutes, but even like some of the hour long ones feel like perfect length. This, I, I really wanted like another hour or even another 30 minutes because I really appreciated the, director who herself is uh gay and her sensitivity and humanity with tracking how this relationship is playing out and also very much like she talked about this a little bit in a couple of interviews i read her realization that this is what the story was was the story between um uh bennett and his mom and what it was and how it was going to work if it was going to work and it, it was 
but also showcasing systems of support that Bennett discovered, including through um, Coyote Grace's front man. Um, and just making sure that the psychological issues associated with transitioning and the emotional issues aren't glazed over in any way, shape, or form. And I appreciated that. It was just like, Bennett's also just very forward with that. He's just like, yes, physically I'm on my way, but emotionally I have a lot of stuff. I still have to work out about all of this. And I think that's really good. And you see that also with um, Stevens's own relapse and how that's explored. And it, it was just really, really good. And I was really glad that they picked this up because it was uh, across a number of uh, probably smaller um, film uh, film festivals. But I was really glad that they picked this up to uh, broadcast it. Yeah, and it's super available, everyone. If you get PBS at all, then you can go to pbs.com.org. You go to the PBS website, and you can just right. watch it there for free. So spend an hour, go and watch it, because it's really good. And immediately, like Initially, when I was watching, I especially when we get to the part where Ben is talking about he, he's going to get uh, top surgery, I was mm-hmm. curious, like, well, what does that mean? What is that about? It's like, are they going to explain this? And then they didn't. And, and I realized, oh, that's because... Like every other documentary, would be f- like obsessing about the, the physiological elements right. of being trans and what that means, and if you're going to get a surgery, what does that mean, and all these different things. And and this, they made the very very conscious choice to not do that. To be like, yeah, I know, but you can find that everywhere else. I'm not interested in this, you know, in my subjects like physical trauma of a, after a surgery. I'm not interested in showing where he's going to get cut up and what's going to be removed and what's going to be like all that, that. No, I'm interested in who this person is right? and what that means. And I think having a queer uh, woman as the director really shapes a lot of it. And it, I also sought out because I finished and I immediately wanted to read reviews. I immediately wanted yeah. to read interviews with the I was the doing it like during. I was yeah. just like, I need to know more immediately right now. Well, and and because this is a documentary that grew out of the director following the Coyote Grace frontman for something else, and then seeing this kid, this Bennett, you know, like at nineteen, I think at the time the documentary starts. So probably yeah, even, like eighteen, nineteen, yeah, yeah, even younger probably when like because before you even right, get cause... the permission and build the relationship, so you can do the documentary, right. um, and, and seeing. Ben relate like interact with his mom and the director said something in one of these interviews that I thought was really interesting where she said that she could tell that it that they that they could have a relationship that it could be fine like yeah. that they were going to figure it out having I mean as as a queer woman and as a person with in the LGBTQIA's uh community you you get the sense that she's like yeah I've seen when it's not going to go well and I've seen when it will go well this relationship should be able to heal if they both want it to. Well, and that's the that's the thing to chronicle. And and both the the director, but also the subjects to let themselves be filmed and viewed and have this footage out there for both of them in in moments that are not what you want other people to see. I think is really commendable, and it's it's a it's a great portrait of what must be a very challenging experience for both of them. Yeah, and I, I think, like, I mean, watching uh, Bennett's mom walk out of, like, the medical office when he's going in for surgery mm-hmm. uh, with uh, the mother of 
his best friend whose name I can't remember. I want to um, say Wyatt, but I feel like that could be wrong. I don't. It's Dylan. Dylan. It's Dylan. Dylan. Yes. Yeah, thank you. It's Dylan. Um, who is someone who, if you haven't watched it, though you should, is Dylan's like his best friend, and they actually like would do their tee shots together. They Skype one another doing their tee shots, and they actually had the top surgeries done on the same day together. And Dylan's mom is there, and Dylan's mom is basically the polar opposite of Bennett's mom. And but watching her talk to um Bennett's mom as they're walking out and going, these kids have enough going on that we need to not be the ones causing them problems. And we need to love them and support them, and that's what we're here for. And just watching the fact that Bennett's mom is clearly hearing this on some level, even to the fact that, I mean, just coming to Florida to go and do this in the first place is huge. But you can just see kind of the gears working a little bit, to me anyway, as she's like really suddenly like taking all of this in and hearing someone else like her age and... Rel- probably relatively her age and just like life experience probably and going like oh well yeah yeah and type of thing and just it's it's such a big deal it's such a big deal to see that kind of a story play out but not played out in like a more dramatic sensationalistic melodramatic sort of way that if this were a scripted hour-long drama type of thing that it would be played out as and it's just it's a very sort of quiet acceptance that happens and i really really like that yeah. And again, like it just it, it was such a powerful moment that moment you reference with those two moms it just highlights the need for a support group for parents of who are dealing with yeah. a lot of stuff and and trying to like reevaluate their world in this, you know, this corner of what their world is, which is the center of their child's world. But what that means for them and all these different things, and, and and you there's such a sense of relief. You get you get the sense that 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 Ben's mom has not talked about this with anyone who has any sort of experience that could be useful or helpful to her at all. And like right. her relief upon hearing that, that Dylan has had girlfriends, like basically that her son is not now doomed to die alone, unloved and unha- unhappy because of this element of how right. he is and how he's born. Like, like, there's an immediate shift in in her tone and her voice like like a disbelief of oh my god maybe i don't need to worry about this one aspect of my child's future like there's just this relief that washes over her in in like just a couple words um yeah also bennett's mom just watch the clip of bennett in a classroom because that girl was so into him oh super (laughs) into him yeah yeah like the hair the hair toss is just like oh man going down (laughs) No, it was a terrific um, documentary. It, no, it really was. And I think your point about like the, the, the refusing to engage in like the medical discourse, I thought is super good because it immediately like after the surgery, like we see Bennett and Dylan like investigating now what they what they look like and doing it together, but then also going like I can't move and <laughs> I can't I can't reach for things while I'm using my laptop. And it's really uncomfortable and I don't like this. And it's, but it, it's so good because it's a very different, again, from what a more scripted approach would have done with this. Mm-hmm. And it's just really refreshing because it ties the emotional aspect into the body as opposed to separating them. And that I think is like the big thing about this 
about the film altogether is that there's a very strong core of understanding that these two aren't separate things, but the same thing. And that's, I think, why the film ultimately works as well as it does. Yeah, definitely. The it, I feel like it's very easy for documentaries about trans, especially trans kids, but like about transgender issues in general to dehumanize their subjects. Subject, yeah. As a way of like by trying to ma- making things clinical and trying to explain to people who don't understand, yeah. um, the just the basics of of transgender identity and 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 like the the even just the biological issues that go along with it and wanting a very antiseptic explanation and 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 like A to B to C kind of approach, and this is a documentary that refuses to do that and is will only include that stuff if they can use it to humanize rather than the other way. Um, so yeah. And, and watching the, the singer from, uh, from the, from the band Skype with them and just like, mm-hmm. you could see on his face, like, Oh dude, I remember mine. Yep, That's going to hurt for a while. <laughs> I also appreciate the way they don't skip over his struggles and the fact that right. he's still struggling to stay sober all mm-hmm. these years later. And, and that idea that no, you, you were, on a journey but this is life and this the fact that you have come to terms with the fact that you're trans and are moving in taking steps to to help yourself be fully more fully yourself does not remove your your addiction issues and your struggles and and all of that that is also still there um i thought it was very respectful of that um without glossing exploiting over right too much or yeah, yeah or exploiting it so yeah i think it would it's an hour well spent viewer our listeners should definitely check it out and, and people yeah. who viewers who do tune in will not be disappointed right no like i said they had a really good season if you want some other recommendations just hit me up but um they had a really good season this season and i was really glad that i like 80 percent positive like this was their fin- their finale for a show that basically just airs movies yeah um but the it, it was just a really good way for them to go out this season i think well then what wins your week in comedy and reality uh i'm gonna give it to real boy mm-hmm. um i think i think it was by far and away the strongest of what we discussed um but also just it's nice to have uh bake off um uh, slash baking show back in my life again yeah uh so i'll split the difference and give it to uh real boy and cakes and biscuits I well like what about you it's not fair to put something else up against real boy yeah no it's like it's i want to give it to the drag race reunion yeah, yeah, just because sure. it was so much fun and so unexpected, such a lovely mm-hmm. surprise. I mean, I was happy to catch up with Doctor Who. I was happy to catch up with the first two episodes of Warp and Black. I don't have anything to say about them, which is why we didn't talk about them today. Um, but and like, also because we're doing genre in the next segment. <laughs> yes, but oh, sorry, spoiler. Alert, I'm not going to talk about them. But like, but Real Boy is what stuck out to me. So so like Drag Race secondary. Normally, I'd give it. I give you all some love, but I have to give it to Independent Lens for Real Boy. Great, I'm glad. So now you can watch Tower and meet the Patels and the Witness. I was gonna say, like reality, we didn't talk about Terrace House at all, and you were definitely watching that this week. Oh man, I still have three episodes left, and we'll talk about it next week. Fair (laughs) enough. Fair enough. Now we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre and drama. Turn back 
This week in genre and drama, Noel's going to talk about the Mist premiere. That's right. There is now a TV show based on the movie, based on the movie. Um, and then we'll talk a little Winona Earp, Shed Your Skin, I Zombies penultimate episode, Looking for Mr. Goodbrain, Part 1, Claws, Funerary. Then I'll talk briefly about Twin Peaks, The Return Part 7, and Queen Sugar's premiere after the winter. Uh, we'll round things out then with American Gods finale, Come to Jesus, and our... our more significant talk about the Handmaid's Tale finale night as well as the rest of the season. So first up, Noel, is The Mist, which ha- is on Spike. This is a new show. I was, like, I saw you were interested in, in, in like, seeing this show, seeking it out. I didn't get ch- a chance to see it. Should I seek this out, knowing that I'm not much of a horror person, knowing that I have no interest in the movies, is there something in The Mist that I should be seeking out? No. Okay. <laughs> that was very distinct. I was like... Boom. Right. No, I leaned in the microphone for that. Uh, No. uh, So this is basically just takes the concept of Stephen King's The Mist, which is a short uh, novel from, I want to say the 80s or the 90s. I can't quite remember. And then it got adapted into a movie in the early aughts um, by Frank Donabart. Donabart. Donabart? Whatever. Darabont? Darabont, yes, thank you. And I actually like the movie. I think the movie's okay. Um, up until its Twilight Zone twist ending, which is not in the story, I don't think. Um, I'm pretty sure it's not, because it's dumb. Um, but <laughs> I generally like the movie, um, in part because it's just it's a bunch of people trapped in a grocery store. And it's just like, we can't go out because that thing's going to kill us. And also giant wasps. So yeah. not not a great thing for us to go out. And Marissa Gay Harden does a really good performance um, as a very thin, paper-thin religious uh, character, which is very in keeping with uh, King's religious characters generally. Mm-hmm. If they're not in Salem's Lot, they're very paper-thin. <laughs> um, so this basically just takes the mist and goes, so we need to turn this into a TV show, so we're going to trap some people in a mall and some people in a police station and some other places. But we also have to come up with a colorful cast of characters that are very, very boring, including two parents who don't talk to one another about parenting, um, a girl who gets raped at a party. Um, of course she does. This is how she's course. mainly defined, right? Yes. Of and course. guess who's guess who's trapped in the mall with her? Oh, my God. Okay. The, her alleged rapist. I like how you said alleged there. Yeah. I look forward to right. not watching this. Yeah. Well, I say alleged because she's blackout drunk when this happens. Ah, so there her, could be more that they're going to, yeah. R- correct. And like her best friend says it's this guy, but we've never actually heard him say this. Um, yeah. Like it happened kind of off screen. So I have to say alleged because there's no way of knowing right now in the yeah. based on the first episode. Um, because yeah, like she's not reporting it, but like it's, it's, it's just, everything's very broadly drawn and like we have an amnesiatic soldier. We've got a mysterious woman who's very tough and we know she's tough because she drove a pitchfork through a guy, um, in her introduction after she was getting beaten up by said guy. Um, all the cops are, we know the cops are bad because they're mean to the soldier who happens to be black. Uh, they throw him against the bars of the cell that he's in because he won't provide them with a social security number because he's forgotten what it is. But shorthand, we know they're bad because they're mean to this guy for no reason. And he's black. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so that's basically what this is, is there's a lot of shorthand and a lot of very poorly written characters in the pilot there's no reason to care about anyone that's happening because again there's just a lot of shorthand to make us care that doesn't isn't executed in any way shape or form so this is not something you should seek out if you were maybe mulling it and maybe the other two episodes that were made available after this episode aired on like video on demand type of things maybe those are better i seriously doubt it um the one thing i will say as a positive for the show is that sequences that take place inside of the mist itself mm-hmm. are appropriately disorienting and kind of chilling because they do a really nice job of making sure that there's no frame of reference for where you're supposed to go. And I really like that. I thought that was a really good choice that they make. The mist actually, when it's sweeping over things, looks really bad. But Which is weird because, guys, it's just a smoke effect. How does this look bad? But it does. Um, But being actually in the mist is actually kind of chilling and weird. And I appreciate that that is chilling and weird. Mm -hmm. The rest of it, some of the scares that it has, including a woman losing the bottom part of her jaw somehow in the mist. Just like, okay. Right. And running up to like the door of the mall that they're trapped in. um, I kind of go, well, that's that's a weird effect. And it... uh, it's gory scary but it's not anything else scary and gory scary is like my least interesting scary Mm -hmm. so the impulse for this show to explore the darker corners of the town instigated by the fact that they're all shut in together in various places is in keeping with the overall point of the story and this is something that king has done a couple times under the dome and this feels like a very this feels like a bad version of under the dome and when this is the bad version of Under the Dome, you know not to watch it because Under the Dome was not a good show. It was a bad show. It was very bad. I had such, and then it was a good pilot too. Like it was a good yeah, pilot. It's a good pilot. Yeah. And then and immediately, then... At, like I remember being so like Simon and I back, you know, at that time being so hopeful about the show after the pilot, be like, oh, this is going to be an awesome. And then it was terrible. So the fact that this is a lesser Under the Dome. It tells me everything I need to know, Noel. Thank it does. you. Yeah. You watch yeah. it so I don't have to. <laughs> right. And I mean, I, I was interested in watching this again because I like the movie and I generally like this kind of a concept, but this is a very bad execution of that concept. Fair enough. Um, well, yeah. I think it's a good way to pivot over to uh, Winona Earp. Um, how are they executing the potentially evil growing inside Waverly concept that we saw in the first episode uh, this week in Shed Your Skin? I don't know. Um, like, I, I, don't, I don't know how I feel about it yet. I, I still don't know how I feel about it. I can't mm-hmm. decide. And, and this is in part because I will fully admit that I kind of only half watched this episode while I was waking up on like Sunday morning. And yeah. I was just like, I'm, I'm going to have some cereal. I'm going to watch Wynonna Earp. Hey, there are these weird, uh, wailing ghost ladies in the school. And apparently the entire town is now kind of empty, apparently, maybe. Sort of. And yeah. Sort of, which I think is appropriate. Um, and I like, like, some of the, Wino- a friend of Winona slash uh, Winona's older sister, whose name I've already forgotten. Willow? Willow. Willow, yeah. yeah. Friend Willow. of Willow, yeah. And coming back, and I really like the energy that she kind of brings. But I don't know what to do with Waverly's demon stuff that's happening at all yet. Um, but I'm kind of excited about, like, this whole idea that they've let something bigger go. Mm-hmm. Um, through interrupting this whole kind of creepy spider thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I'm still waiting for the show to 
get some steam going basically i think is where i'm at right now um my only other like kind of note before i toss this over to you is i had the closed captioning on uh for one another because i had it on for something else and the closed captioning for the show guys is it's really good Mm -hmm. i can't underplay how good it is because in the cold open when the spider's like getting the guy through the porta potty the closed captioning says terrifying sucking sound (laughs) and i'm just like that is amazing and i love that i like when closed captioning or subtitling gets a little creative and a little more descriptive Uh and i i really appreciated that um so yeah so how did you feel about this um as someone who hopefully paid a little more attention this week (laughs) than i did i thought that it was a solid episode i thought that they did i thought the spiders were appropriately creepy like when the spider like they like Waverly's like sitting on the spider on the trash can or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's still like I was like, yep, that is an effective way to show this spider. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. and then that makes her eating it at the end super extra creepy. Uh, I'm still very skeptical about the Waverly stuff. We'll see where it goes. Um, I also continue to have a disconnect where I don't buy because I because I so don't ship the ship of uh, Winona and dolls like all this angst of the different relationships it's very inert yeah it's not giving it the show the energy that i think that they think it is um doc as potential baddie making drugs or whatever um i don't i don't believe i don't know that they're drugs who yeah i I think that they want us to think that they they are not drugs but it's not drugs so like i think that they I think that that if if I actually believed what they wanted me to believe, I would be more concerned. But because I see through them, I think maybe I'm wrong. I think I right. see through them. Um, then I'm just sort of vaguely interested, and we'll see where that goes. I like that they're giving Doc something outside of Winona as yeah. a plot point. So we'll see where that goes. Um, but mainly, it was like okay, solid episode. Don't care about the doll stuff. Um, concerned about the Waverly stuff. Glad we get some 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 nice little moments with. Uh, with Officer Hot or Agent Hot, Officer Hot, um, and I like that they, like you said, that they brought in that friend of Willow's and are continuing yes. to expand out the world of like their their friend circle, their their acquaintance circle. I like that Winona is still very messed up about killing her sister because she should be. It's very good that that is so clearly going to be a spine for the season. I'm very glad about that. So we'll see where that goes, but I thought it was solid, and we'll see. I, I'm still, like I said. I cannot under uh, under underline enough how skeptical I am about this Waverly thing, but we'll see. Yeah, and I, I think being skeptical is okay, and I, I don't think that the show so far, because they want to play, like, a long game with it, is, like, we can't really show you anything apart from her eating the spider and apparently scaring a big scary demon. Like, that's the extent of what we can do with this right now, because we don't want to, we don't want to lay any cards out yet. And for, I think for, like yeah i it's just it makes I, yeah it just makes me nervous and like skeptical i think is better than nervous i think that's a much better word and you're, you've been using it and i think that's a better word than nervous well speaking of nervous let's talk about the future shipping wars that are going to be happening on iZombie because we had looking for mr goodbrain this week i enjoyed we had part one i enjoyed the tweets i was seeing uh, between you and some of the friends of the show talking about how this is not leading to eventual shipping wars between Liv and her current boyfriend because we all know like we can see the ex like he's the riley if anyone's the riley he's the riley for um, justin 
want to say sure. that's his name. Sure, but... that's his name. <laughs> yeah, of it's course. Justin. It's Justin. Yeah, it's <laughs> but Justin. But between uh, Major and Jason Doring, uh, because I Chase is his name. Chase. Chase is his name. He's the I, his. Yes. I only know his name is Chase because his name is Chase Graves because they're Phil Moore Graves and they like puns on the show. That's the only Thank reason you. I remember it. Um, the Doring and Major fans. Uh, that's going to be some some intense stuff. I was not actually very fond of the fact that they tried to like have her sleeping with Jason Doring live sleeping with chase be this like effect of the brain thing i didn't buy it i don't buy it at all and Mm -hmm. they really want to chalk it up to that and i think that's it's a dangerous precedent for the show um what do you think about that um i mean i i think the show does enough to establish her the uh, katie cups's um sex addiction um or if not sex addiction then definitely predilection for anonymous sex yeah. Um because Cups isn't here to speak for herself anymore. Um so I think that they do enough of a job establishing the brain sort of taking over in certain instances. But the fact that the show again and this is a strong critique that you've made of the show previously but I think really applies this season is the the degree to which the brains took over live and Liv's acknowledgement that she was allowing them to take over to avoid thinking about her own issues is enough. But I also think that we had an episode where Liv acknowledged this and then we just kind of didn't talk about it anymore. Nothing changed. And yeah, and and there's no change or anything to it. So it's like, well, did did she just let the brain take over because she wants to have sex with Chase and she's not happy having had she's had sex with justin i'm like 80 percent positive yes had. they've yeah. definitely had sex yeah okay so i'm yeah so it's one of those things where it's just like i i see you show and i think basically you just want to have this romantic angle not be about justin mm-hmm. and you want it to be about um rob rob thomas regular <laughs> yeah and that's fine I, I i can appreciate that just from them wanting to because they know who their audience and fandom at this point is. Mm-hmm. But I'm willing to acknowledge the fact that I that it's not as it's not as clear cut as I think the show will eventually make it be. Mm-hmm. And so I agree that it kind of sets a dangerous precedent for this kind of a thing to happen. But I also think that they're savvy enough not to overplay that card. So yeah. I think that's kind of where I fall on is like they can play this card once basically and get away with it. Uh, But at any other point for this kind of a thing that they want to set up, they can't do it again. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I don't, I, we differ on that because I don't think they get to play it once. I don't buy it because she's able to, she doesn't have sex with humans. Right. But that's because she, she doesn't want to turn them into zombies. Yeah. Which (laughs) means that she is able to be live enough to not, right have sex with them because it'll hurt them right she has she chooses to have sex with with chase that is not like she chose to leave the other one she she got way closer than live ever would if she was just normal live but she was still able to control her choices and so i think i think it's just if this show examines why she was looking for a reason to or reason yeah. to to not say no to the brain 
Yeah. Then, then fair. Then, then sure. I retract any questions because that's I think that's the conversation to have here. But I mean, Justin was waiting for her. Yeah. And a lot of it is also just motivated by the fact that she needs to find the clue and they can't find a way to do it without this happening beyond. Sure. No, they wanted her to have going her have up... sex with Jason Doring. <laughs> right. And to have Jason Doring in a towel. That yeah. is basically what this was about was clue and Jason Doring in a towel. And so... her and Jason Doring having had sex so that they can play with that dynamic in the future. Right. Correct. Um, so that part mixed working how did you feel about the rest of the episode then i thought it the rest of it worked pretty well i was disappointed in myself for not seeing the ex, the suicide bombing coming at the end mm-hmm. with poor natalie like i was like what's gonna happen to keep major from leaving he's gonna see live again and be like i'm gonna stay maybe like i obviously he wasn't gonna leave but so that for them to kill natalie i felt stupid for not seeing that coming but then also, I think that speaks to how well they fleshed out her character and how well they paid off what had been a multi-season arc at this point, I guess. So that, that relationship with with her and Major being one that, that only... And I think that they sold that, of it only turning romantic in this moment. Like, not being defined by that previously. Mm-hmm. Um so so I think they did a good job with that. I thought that worked. Um, I still don't buy the stuff with Ravi, like we talked you talked about last week. Right. Don't buy it at all. So and Rachel either. Um it was so weird to see Rose McIver. Like, Rose McIver, yeah. It was very weird. Like her whole face looked very different, the the angles and the shape and everything. Right. I, I appreciated the show's massive joke about it of yeah. McIver going, no, this is what I look like buried under a layer of makeup and an uncomfortable wig. And yeah. it's just like, oh, that's so good. Well, and she um, had way too much makeup on, too. Right, like, right. Was, that was, was the a good point. Sh- yeah. Right. Yeah. She had, she finally tanned and dyed. Yeah. Um, and neither of those things were true. She just applied a lot of makeup mm-hmm. and wore an uncomfortable wig. But except neither of those things were true because this is what Rose McIver looks like. And it would have just been really weird had they allowed Rose McIver to use her actual voice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I appreciated some of that. Um, and um, I, 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 I think the, the big thing I kind of struggled with in this episode, that Blaine just doesn't exist. Um, yeah. And I kind of kept going, where is Blaine and Mr. Boss and all this? And how is this figuring into any of this? Um, they and, really don't care. And Kate really doesn't care. Um, so yeah, so I think that there's good stuff there. And I like, I I appreciate the fact that like major got a send off from these guys, um, Mm -hmm. that he is like his like family unit, like rewarded him, didn't like discriminate, which is kind of like the lead up of the message that Ravi was trying to sell, um, to Rachel and failing miserably about zombie and the zombie truth is about zombies being still being people. They just, they just happen to need brains to survive and also can have super strength. But on the whole, they're, they're very good people. Um, so uh, how are you feeling going into the finale? I thought it was a terrific setup for the finale. And I'm looking, like we said last week, this is a show that knows how to do with two part finales. So I thought they built things up nicely. I look forward to seeing how they knock them down. And yeah, I thought, I thought it was a good part one. Let's see part two. I'm so eager to talk about part two with you. Once I've seen it, because hashtag screener privilege. Yes. Okay, well, let's move on then to Claws. And this is now, we this would be the second episode. I'm all caught up 
on it. And I gotta say, after that, really loving that opening, I am having trouble with Claws, Noel. Like, yeah. the tone and basically everything with the Dean Norris character is not working for me. Everything outside of that, I'm super on board for. So I'm very torn about where the show is. Yeah, I, I kind of felt like I was struggling to get through um, funerary. I'm not going to say funerary. that again. Funerary. I'm still not going to say that again. I don't like saying <laughs> that. It hurts my tongue. Um, so, yeah, I, I felt like the, I was struggling to get through some of it. And some of it wasn't, some of it was um, Uncle Daddy. Um, yeah. And just the weirdness of that character. I, I think Dean Doris is deeply committed to whatever it is they're doing. I mm-hmm. just don't think anyone knows what it is they're doing apart from doing a coked up erratic crime boss to which I promptly go, I've seen this a gazillion times. And even in the hands of Dean Norris, this is still just a coked up drug boss, crime boss. And you're not doing anything particularly new beyond the implied white trashiness of hitting your wife at your nephew's funeral. And then them being kind of okay with it by the end and just like, I don't know what I'm pulling away from any of this. And I don't know why I care about like the other son getting dragged deeper into it beyond the fact that his, his wife is one of the folks in the, um, and already is actually already in the game as it were. So yeah, I kind of struggled with all the crime stuff, but everything else I was generally like, okay with, I enjoyed Carrie Preston talking about why she went to prison again to teenage girls. And Mm -hmm. it was phenomenal. It was very, very good. I also appreciated her whole trying to find a celebrity that these kids care about. Yeah, that was funny. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I I think the show's still... I'm still definitely on board for the season, I think. But I need them to figure out the crime stuff a lot quicker than I think we're going to. Yeah, I agree. And just the tonal shifts... Around that is what is giving me a hard time. It feels much more heightened and farcical in that element and only that element. And yeah. when the, then when they want us to commit or, or buy into how serious and intense they they want the crime stuff to get, they drop that. So yeah. So which is it? I think they need to to more fully like lock down their their tonal approach, and right. then they can make some tweaks but anyways we'll see where it goes uh twin peaks uh, the return part seven so i caught is, up on a bunch of episodes of this now is this the sweeping episode <laughs> this is the uh the, the episode um where we we oh man it just i watched them all back to back to back sure. so in my head it's just a bunch of dougie drinking coffee and then and then um being like drawing letters on papers and uncovering some sort of fraud very you know, like un- unconsciously and he's like on his way back to maybe kind of being Cooper and he's seeing the lodge and I, I no idea what's going on, but I love watching it. And it's so, mm-hmm. and talk about tones. It's so ridiculous and heightened. And then also so distinctly Lynchian and, and Frostian, I'll say as well. Like it's so very twin peaks in some of its pacing and its tone. Like it's very strange. And I could just watch Dougie stare at accounting forms like all day so uh it's i don't have anything insightful or interesting or helpful to say other than i'm really enjoying watching twin peaks 
So I'm going to move right on to Queen Sugar. Okay. And the, we had um, two episodes this week. I've only had a chance to see the first one. Um, we'll talk more about it next week. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But After the Winter was the premiere, and I thought that they picked up in a, in a good point, at a good point, a good amount of time. Um, what, what looks like it'll be one of the... Sp- like the central issues of the season involves uh, Charlie's son. I think that's a, a good choice. It, it really, I mean, I'm trying to say spoiler free here, um, but I think it, in, in, it encompasses all of the borderlands in a really smart way and mm-hmm. get, it should, it should be a very effective way to allow for conversations and different perspectives that can be very helpful and really interesting. So, We'll see where that goes. I don't care about Davis at all. Um, so some of the stuff with Davis, um, we'll see. But I, I don't, I think oh, that's not the actors or the writers. I just, I think that's the reaction I'm supposed to be having to Davis yeah. right now. Um, so, you know, again, we'll see. But I, I'm very glad to have it back. I just, oh man, and bye. I love her so much. She's so awesome. When isn't she awesome? No, I really grew up that. I just didn't have the emotional bandwidth this week. Well, yeah, um, you, we were talking, you are like, I don't yeah. know if I have anybody to watch. I'm like, I do not blame you. Watch <laughs> some stupid game shows, because certainly and that's, yeah. That's what I did. Um, yeah, yeah. And Japanese real world, that is that is what I did instead of watching Queen Sugar. But I will get to it for next week, I swear. Um, yeah. Because you know how much I love this show. Mm-hmm. Um, I just was just like, I, I don't have it in me today. I don't. Well, especially two episodes, too, you know. Yeah, and, that's that's yeah. just mean. Yeah. <laughs> but it's beautifully directed as always the the yeah. the pacing the writing the cinematography is all very well very well executed the acting and the yeah I, i'm very glad to be back in this world i'm glad we didn't have to wait a full year yeah and uh yeah ava duverney we love you thank you mm-hmm. thank you for queen sugar um let's move on to american gods we had our finale come to jesus i don't we're gonna talk about this next week we're gonna have a, a whole segment on it um so let's just keep it kind of brief here sure. and talk just about this finale. We'll talk more sure. about this, this season as a whole next week. Um, my okay. Let's kick it off with this. Jeremy Davies is terrific as Jesus Prime. White Jesus, Jesus Prime don't say, should don't not say, be don't white. Say Jesus Prime. I think I, he's I, white Jesus. That's the way I understood him to be credited. I'll look okay. it up. But he should not, he should be white Jesus. He right. shouldn't be the original Jesus. And the way that they depict him with he's the only one who has the halo around his head implies that he's the real one and the rest are like the, the different versions and that is messed up well i mean i feel like didn't mexican jesus have a halo effect you know what i don't even remember yeah it says that says what an impact it had on me right um so i i feel like he was supposed to be credited as white jesus i know that i read it as like if he was white jesus but this is also the jesus anyone only talks to which, I mean, is something to dig into um, because it's just like, yeah, it, it's I, I like the performance. Um, it's perfectly weird, which is what you expect from Jer- Jeremy Davis. So I'm also sort of going from a writing perspective. I kind of went, you didn't realize that you took this holiday from a, from her at any point. It took a cocktail party fight for you to realize that. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, and he is credited at IMDb as Jesus Prime. Oh well, yeah, that's that's no good. Um, is he? Ugh, that's no good. Yeah, he shouldn't be Jesus Prime. He's white Jesus. Um, and it's nice to see a Jeremy Davies performance where he isn't being twitchy, which is what I feel like a lot of different people have asked of him since seeing him on Justified. Yeah, and and no, he's not twitchy. He's just 
it's very quiet and reserved and like his response to dropping the glass into the pool of just a very quiet god damn it uh, <laughs> is funny but it's also like really nicely underplayed which i appreciated um ha- so uh jesus prime stuff like obviously not a great idea um guys don't do that please rectify that maybe in season two should he appear again um, how did you feel about the rest of the episode uh, as we had um, everyone converge in Kentucky for Easter, to which I go, how long have we been driving? <laughs> yeah, there is that. I thought that this was probably the best episode of the season. I thought okay. that they handled the pacing and the, the reveals and everything in a much more effective way. I think that Kristen Chenoweth with this excellent casting for Easter, at least the way they want to portray her. It is very odd to me, though, to see her obviously have like dyed roots and everything like like the 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 choice of you know tanned sun-kissed skin and obviously like bleached hair mm-hmm. for our nature goddess is very strange why why that doesn't feel right at all um but uh she her performance is terrific and i like that we finally start to get some stakes to what we're seeing uh i i like that we see media without a specific huge parallel but very much operating in a scarlet o'hara-esque yes (laughs) but at least it's not a one for one yeah and um i just i they shouldn't have taken this long to get us to this point to show us why we should care about what's happening and for there to be stakes and impact in in the events we're seeing, pl- you know, like play out. I thought that the previous episode was pretty good as well, pretty strong. Um, if only be- I didn't really care as much about the Mad Sweeney stuff. I thought that was a very good in a standalone approach, but to to give stakes again to Laura and shadow and all of that i think was very effective so the end of the season has been better but this is the kind of stuff this is the level i expect from the start of the season yeah and i mean even this kind of a larger scale reveal i understand that fuller very much wanted the experience of reading the book to which i probably go well then we don't have a dinner party with easter we have a picnic in san francisco with easter and that's the extent of that she does not take away the spring brian um <laughs> So, I, I, but I understand, like, the experience of wanting to be as lost as Shadow is, but I'm, I don't, I never care <laughs> that Shadow feels lost, and I still don't care. Uh, so, the, the Odin revealing himself is fine, nice, good, okay, we've got that off the table, but it also, like, now it's like, do you still believe now, Shadow? Like, he summoned a lightning bolt and took away the spring. Like, uh, uh, where do you go from here type of thing is, like, my question. And, like, I'm I'm glad you liked the episode. I was mainly left with a, well, that that was an episode of a television show that happened. Um, Because that's kind of where I am with the show. So, like, this is is an episode of a television show that exists. Uh, Just because it's something that I really feel like should have just happened like halfway through the season as opposed to the end of it. Cause now yeah. it feels like, Oh, this is the show you guys wanted me to make and watch. Oh, well then what were the seven other fucking hours I sat through? Um, so yes. I'm leaning into discussions that we'll have next week with someone who likes the show and I yeah. feel very bad for her for coming on, but she's a trooper. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it was just like, this is something that I felt like should have happened significantly sooner than it does. Um, though I understand 
why they wanted it to happen here for someone basically who hasn't read the book, I think is like, it's like, oh, well, this is all very cool. And I go, yeah, it is all very cool. But now we're going to get to the section where Shadow hangs out in the cabin all winter, maybe? Because now it's spring. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> well, like, it's what seems painfully obvious to me. This is not the season one finale. Yeah. The season one finale is that House on the Rock. Yeah. That is where the first season should end. And that, when they went from 10 episodes to eight episodes, I think that's what changed. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, based on their budget and their timing and everything, they went from 10 to eight. And if they had had two more and we actually got to see Bilquis, you know, converge, I think, are we supposed to think that she's like a spy for the new gods? Because she's obviously going to be with the old gods. <sighs> Can we talk about Bilquis? Obviously. Because I was really excited when they were like, Bilquis is going to play a really big part. And I kept like looking at my clock going, wow, when is she going to play a really big part? When is she going to play a really big part? And yeah. now it's just like, oh, season two. And I just went, oh, you sons of bitches. Um, and yeah, but no, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that we should believe that she's going to turn on the old guys because technical boy is a dick. And yeah. she's a god. She's not going to tolerate a dick now that she's like had a pretty steady diet at this point. Well, and also because she just keeps remembering and longing for the past. Right. Yeah. So, of course she's going to be with them yeah. and not a spy against them. Yeah. The I remember when the when the casting and and when the discussion around the show was being announced and I was a little wary about the fact that all the cast they were that they were really focusing on were men. And then they made a point of saying, but except for Laura, right. the, the Laura Moon character, um, but they're like, Oh, we're going to have Jillian Anderson and we're going to have Kristen Chenoweth and we're going to have Yatidi. Oh my goodness. I don't remember her last name. The actress who plays, uh, uh, Bilquist. And they're going to play a huge role, much expanded roles. Like, well, it'd have to be expanded because there's nothing in the book. And then right. that's basically what happened. It's, there's nothing here. The, 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 I really, oh goodness, I need to stop talking. We're going to talk about this next week, but I think they should have and could have and should have done a much better job in their first season. And I, they did not, they just assumed that people watching would care about these characters because we like these actors or because we like the book. And that is not an intelligent way to approach adapting anything. Right. And the actress's last name is Badaki. Thank you. You're welcome. And yeah, no, it, it isn't. And it's sort of, I, I think a lot of it was like, and we're getting ahead, but a lot of it, I think was just a series of expectations that were created and then very much not met um, from various sources. And the finale just didn't compel me to feel ready to watch a second season. And I guess that's kind of like my question before we transition over to Handmaids is, do you feel compelled to watch a second season? Based oh, I'm on gonna. You're gonna? Okay. I watched 50 Years of Doctor Who. I'm gonna watch two seasons of American Gods for Brian Fuller. Come on. Ah, I think or that's for a, Ian McShane. Or for, yeah. I think that's a little more commitment than I have, but we'll see how I'm feeling next year. <laughs> we'll see. How about The Handmaid's Tale? We had the finale last week, Night. Um, we certainly talked about, and this is something you guys will hear in my conversation with Angelica uh, Jade Bastien, about the, you know, ending the season here, what that means for the next season, what has or has not happened in this season. Um, are you excited for season two of The Handmaid's Tale? 
I'm interested in season two. I, I don't know if I'm excited. Um, I feel like uh, they just, th- the, what I think ended up happening halfway through the show for me was that they transitioned from telling a really interesting story to realizing, oh my God, we need to fill multiple seasons. And they transitioned into basically doing a Netflix X pilot season mm-hmm. of, hey, this is a proof of concept. And we can also do these things like what we did with Luke and what we did with Nick and or Serena Joy to a much more successful extent than what we did with Nick and Luke. Uh, But we can do these things as well. And I think that's the the back half ended up feeling very much like a pilot sort of proof of concept thing. And I lost a lot of like the excitement I had after the first initial batch of episodes. Uh, So I'm still very much game for watching Elizabeth Moss do this because I still think she's really phenomenal in this. I'm uh, and I'm interested to see like what's obviously going to be a world expansion, considering who got up as a series regular for next season Um, (laughs) to which, hey, cut out any actual suspense, guys. Um, Good job. Uh, (laughs) You managed to keep that thing under wrap for like months. And then it's just like, hey, guess what? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so very much like a world expansion because the ambiguity of that ending is now immediately undercut, but I'm interested to see what, what other stories they have to tell as long as they're not about men, (laughs) Um, uh, is basically like where the premise is. And I'm hoping for a lot more Moira in the second season now that she's, safe and we can deal with all the stuff that moira had to go through that we did not get to deal with and should have dealt with a little bit in this season i apologize if i anticipated any of angelica's points because i haven't listened to that conversation (laughs) and i'm excited to everyone but yeah so i'm i'm interested in the second season but this the back half of this season just kind of undercut a lot of stuff for me so, yeah, that's kind of where I am with it. Uh, how did you feel about it? Yeah, I I was very, and I talked about this with Angelica, I was very puzzled by the choice to end the season here. Yeah. That was a, I was certain, when I heard that it was going to be more than one season, I was like, well, that means that they definitely aren't going to end season one where the book ends. Right. And yet they do. Um, so, we'll see what happens next. Uh, don't worry, Noel, we talk plenty about the decision to give Luke an episode, but not give Moira an episode. Yeah, and to give Nick an episode in what should have probably very clearly been the Moira episode? That should have been the Moira episode. <laughs> or I think it should have been first Jezebel's episode, Moira episode, second Jezebel's episode. Yeah. Personally. But that, yes. that makes a lot of sense to me as well. Anyways, mm-hmm. more on that in a little mm-hmm. bit, listeners. But um, as for the finale... Like it worked for me. I thought it was one of the stronger episodes of the season. I still think the opening like chunk of episodes are their best. Yes. And I liked like like you, I, I liked the bridge quite a bit more than the episodes that immediately preceded it. Um I, what did you think about the end the choice to have Moira, you know, end in Canada and to have her get free? I liked that. I was perfectly okay with that, in part because it allows them again, the safety to the safety quote-unquote, mm. and the space to tell Moira's story a little bit without, like, having to always go back to Jezebel's to trigger it, in a way. Yeah. And I think that's an okay decision to make. 
Um, mainly, though, I end up feeling really bad for Moira because she's stuck with the dullest man on the planet. <laughs> but, <laughs> Noel, how, listeners are going to hear about how Angelica and I feel about the Luke episode shortly. How do you feel about the Luke episode? It's it's bad. I said it was bad when it aired. Um, yeah, I thought you might want another opportunity. No, it's bad. It's bad. It's 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 bad. It's so bad. And oh, like I don't want to dig into it anymore. Just because it's just like here's an hour devoted to character. You don't know anything more about this character after an hour. That's not good writing. <laughs> <laughs> um. So no, I feel really bad that Moria is stuck with the dullest man on the planet. Um. And so I'm just like. Oh, I hope you find some more interesting people to hang out with. Maybe that woman who's not talking is super interesting. I bet she is. <laughs> um, um, what yeah, about the uh, about Janine? The decision to or like June's ability to not throw and 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 of Glenn Mark II's like speaking out. Did you buy that? Did that work for you, or did that ring as false? It didn't ring as false, considering like some of this stuff that built up for june over the course mm-hmm. of especially the last the bridge and night i think like justifies what happens in a lot of ways in just alone serena joy is just like slapping her around mm-hmm. and but also just a side note the aesthetics of june trying to claw up to the tub and serena joy praying on the floor that cross cut plus all the light with serena joy really gorgeous like shot and editing choices there anyway going back um is that i think it's justified and i think it's earned and but i also feel like Anne dowd is the one that keeps that scene from becoming too much in a lot of ways like her presence and her the arc that they provided lydia as someone who's obviously just a into this sort of system but also cares about these women in her own particular way um is makes that scene i think a little more powerful and a little more interesting because i don't think that she lydia doesn't understand where they're coming from mm-hmm. but she very much doesn't want anyone punished for this either because of a, she cares, but B, she also understands that these women are very valuable. <laughs> well, and that her power immediately erodes if she can't control the troops. Right, and so there's a selfish aspect to it as well. And Yeah, just maintaining the order and maintaining right. the system that clearly she believes in. Right, and so I really appreciate all of that, and I think Ann Dowd very quietly became like a sh- the show's stealth MVP, MVP. right, yeah. um, in a lot of ways that I think we all kind of expected the show to allow Samira Wiley to become. <laughs> and then the show went <laughs> um so <laughs> what was that i'm gonna need that again <laughs> um so i so i really appreciated that scene um i will say that i did not super love the decision to have what looked mostly like an army of white women marching to nina simone's song but uh, right that was just really weird and i didn't really care for and it was very, it was just really weird. And I didn't like the optics of it at all, uh, especially with how June is flanked in that sequence, not paired with someone flanked. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was really weird. And I didn't, I didn't, I, it was just, it, it was super, super weird. And I didn't care for it. 
and it felt like a weird misstep uh even though like musically they've never been subtle but this was just a weird sort of choice for them to make in a desire to be really victorious and i just kind of went that that was not the correct choice for you guys to make and so that's that's kind of how it felt we've talked about this this year nina simone being everywhere and yeah I need some music supervisors to be more canny about how and when and why they use Nina Simone yeah. and the context of what that means and not assuming that that context is always helpful to their overall message or cast the show in a positive light. Yeah. Um, because Nina Simone is amazing. And we talked about this with Blackish when they yeah. used it in Blackish. I was like, if Nina Simone is singing, y'all better shut up. I don't want to hear anybody talking over Nina Simone. I don't want to see white ladies marching triumphantly to Nina Simone. Like, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a choice. And I, I just, I was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't like this choice. And I was also then bothered by the fact that there was one bonnet left. So I was wondering who left. And <laughs> I was just like, who, wait, who got away? <laughs> mm-hmm. um yeah so i am i'm, I'm i i, I want to see a second season and i'm interested in a story of what they're going to tell for a second season and but i'm also sort of like but are we done with waterford are we done with are we done with serena joy um i so i i'm, I'm kind of wondering like what this show looks like in a second season apart from very obviously probably going to the colonies yeah, well, we'll we will see. Yeah. We will see. Any final thoughts? Anything else you wanted to talk about with this uh, finale or the season as a whole? Um, I'm not sure. Like, I, a lot of me is still kind of digesting it in a lot of ways. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, and I also kind of like want to go back and read the book again. Um, even though yeah. like I just listened to it last year or the year before. Well, I think last year. I think I listened to it last winter. Um like January last winter, not December yeah. last winter. Um, so I think I want to like read it again and kind of sort out some stuff. Um, yeah. But how did you feel um, overall then? Or was there like lingering things that you want to discuss that you and Angelica did not discuss? <laughs> well, we get into a bunch with Angelica, but I get into a bunch with Angelica, but um, the, I, I think I needed more distance from it to get a stronger sense of how much of a, like what my overall take on the show is sure. because my reaction to the first four, especially the the pilot, was so powerful and right. so strong and yes. so positive. Yes, that I'm not sh- quite sure yet how I feel about the season as a whole. Yeah, because um, I don't know if you remember Noel, but I was telling people run out and buy. I remember, I remember, and I yeah. I, I seconded you, and then like around halfway through the season, like especially like, after the Luke mm. episode, I kind of went oh. Maybe we made it. Get the free trial? Yeah. And just watch it all in a weekend? And watch it all in a weekend, yeah. Yeah. So uh, often, it's hard for a show that takes a turn as significantly as the first season of Handmaid's Tale did. Um, It's hard for that show to come back in my estimation by the end of the season. Usually, if, if, if there's episodes I don't like, those especially if they're later in a season, it's very easy for that to overpower. Yes. How, how strong how positive how compelling and interesting the the better episodes were i have a feeling that won't actually happen for me with handmaid's tale mm-hmm. I, but when i'm thinking about best episodes or best best seasons 
of TV this year. I don't know how strongly that'll contend for me, but best episodes, I think it will. So, like, yeah. it's a matter of how that, you know, falls out. It shakes out in, in my listening. Yeah, and... Yeah, that that I was like updating my spreadsheet of shows um, to include yeah. like stuff that was coming out um, this summer, um, like Glow, which we ha- which hopefully we'll talk about like next week. Next week, yeah. yeah. Um, um, and like a bunch of other stuff, and I was also like filling in stuff, um, like Handmaid's Tale and Gods, and going, all right, so where am I ranking this right now? And I was just like, I can't say upper tier. Because yeah. I was just like I was really frustrated by the back half of this um, in a lot of ways, just from like a pacing perspective, and then like yeah. my idea of this like being very much a proof of concept season, especially in the second half. Going, but you had a really good concept. It's called this book, mm-hmm. and you ha- you clearly worked really hard on those other episodes, and then these decisions got made, and I'm not sure where these decisions are coming from. And yeah. apart from needing to fill it in. So I kind of went upper middle, not middle, but cause I like those other episodes a lot, but I can't, but so it's, it's a, it's a weird show for me to think about in terms of like halfway through the season, right? That we are right now and going, what have I really enjoyed so far? And it's just like the first half of this season, but yeah. So yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Listeners, reach out. Let us know what you thought of this season of Handmaid's Tale and uh, favorite episodes or, or how, you know, if you had a similar experience to us, how that shapes your overall view of the season. And if you did not, let us know about that, too. Um, you can, we should do a, a few shots here. But before we do, what wins your week in genre and drama? Um, I guess looking for Mr. Goodbrain part two, part one, uh-huh. I should say, not part two. Um, um, that That, by the way, is not like a... Freudian slip that's just me not thinking um Mm -hmm. to um indicate how I feel about the actual finale um but yeah I'll give it to that I think um is like the best choice I can make um Mm -hmm. of what I watched and of what we discussed uh what about you what won yours was it the big Twin Peaks catch-up yeah I think I'm gonna go with the Twin Peaks catch-up like some stuff I don't care about some there's some things there I really don't care about there's some that I thought was just fabulous and super fun so it's like it's not as slam dunk as maybe you'd think but i I still really because the queen sugar premiere is very good but um yeah i'm gonna give it to twin peaks how can i not how can i not give some love to dougie um a few show notes here at the end of our weekend tv you can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org and uh leave a comment there let us know what you thought of the week's tv of course the televerse.org is the website for the podcast you can also find us in itunes leave a comment or a rating review there you can find us in stitcher leave a rating review there in itunes they have an m4a chaptered feed and mp3 unchaptered feed in stitcher it's just the m4a chaptered feed you can also find us in facebook like the page start up a conversation and of course we're both on twitter i am at the television noel you are at noel rk and of course you can always email us television gmail.com i should probably tell you my twitter i'm at the televerse i don't know if you can tell i'm still rather scattered today um, drunk and- she means it's a polite euphemism <laughs> Well, I've been out of my my limoncello spritzer. Yeah, but you've the past you've been like drinking hours. what's left of it though, pretty consistently. I've been trying to like. It looks know. like it's stuck to the glass. Is it stuck to the glass now? No, it's there. They were raspberries that oh. were my ice cubes because they okay. were frozen, and now they're not frozen. So they've been letting out some little bits of raspberry juice, which are delicious. Okay, 
Mm-hmm. Like bits of juice, like drops of juice are delicious. <laughs> Anyways, um, that will wrap up <gasps> our week in TV. Thank you, listeners, for your patience. Now we'll take a break and come back with the fabulous Angelica Jade Pastien to talk about the season of Handmaid's Tale as well as the finale. So uh, we'll be right back after this. I was asleep before. That's how we let it happen. When they slaughtered Congress, we didn't wake up. When they blamed terrorists and suspended the Constitution, we didn't wake up then either. Now I'm awake. My name is Alfred. I had another name. Ladies, I have to let you go. It's the law now. They needed to do it this way. All the bank accounts and the jobs all at the same time. You imagine the airports otherwise? Run, run, run! You girls will serve the leaders and their barren wives. You will bear children for them. There's an eye in your house. We'll send you to the colonies. You'll be cleaning up toxic waste and then you'll die. Tonight is a celebration of Gilead and of what we have achieved. We only wanted to make the world better. Better? Better never means better for everyone. I want to keep on living for her. Remember your scripture. Blessed are the meek. And blessed are those who suffer for the cause of righteousness. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, and I'm joined this week by returning friend of the show. Very glad you could join us, Angelica Jade Bastien. Um, you, obviously, we love having you on the, the Televerse, but specifically to talk about The Handmaid's Tale because you've been recapping the show over at the New York Times. You have a fabulous piece about the first season that just went up at Vulture. Um, I know you have a lot of thoughts about The Handmaid's Tale, Angelica, so thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me. So what, where should we jump off with The Handmaid's Tale? I, like, I want to dive in with all the, the racial issues with the show, because you just, of course, had that piece go up on Vulture talking about that. Um, do you want to start with that, or do you want to just get there in our conversation? Well, I think we'll get there. Okay. Uh, one subject I, I really wanted to talk about, though, was the decision to make it multiple seasons instead of just a mm-hmm. miniseries, and how that's, like, obviously affected how they told the story in a lot of somewhat troubling ways Mm -hmm. uh which sort of we can get to the race stuff within that because there's been some really interesting things uh the showrunner bruce miller has said um but i was wondering have you read the book first off i guess yeah i read it in school so it's been forever i was i remember reading it in school i talked about this in the podcast back when the season started and be like this is so ridiculous. This never and it, the context of stupid high school teenage Kate versus yeah. now is very very different. Um, so clearly, I need to go back and and yeah. reread. Um, you've read the book, yeah? I only read it recently, actually, because mm-hmm. um, I never had to read it in school. I've read other stuff by Margaret Atwood, but I read the book recently so I would know what I was getting into going into recapping the show for the New York Times. I mean, it's one of those books that even if you haven't read it, you kind of have an idea of it, especially if you're interested in feminism whatsoever. 
Um, but it's really interesting to sort of read the book and think about how the TV show sort of, it changes quite a bit of it um, in sort of interesting ways especially with the pacing I thought was like sort of strange Mm -hmm. with the show. Cause I mean, I know, you know, they're going to do a second and maybe third and fourth, who knows how many they're going to do, which is weird in and of itself. Cause the show ends where the book does for Alfred, at least where she's like, you know, goes into the black van and we kind of don't know if this means she's going to be like really connect with Mayday. And this is actually some weird engineered, uh, process to get her toward her freedom or she's about to be tortured and whatever mm-hmm. uh so it ends where the book does so everything we're gonna see from now on second season onward is all them all the tv show you know the writers like bruce miller and them working on it um but it's weird to me because it's like they with the character off glenn played by alexis bladell they actually reveal that she's a part of Mayday really quick, really early on. And I actually think that was a mistake. I think they should have like drawn out the tension with that. Cause her storyline like ends like really like mid season in a weird way. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about her storyline. Well, I was really surprised you know, to, to see them end the, the series or the season, I should say. Where the yeah. book heads. I did not at all expect that given some of the choices, like you're saying with the pacing, the season, the choice to do an all Luke episode, the choice oh. to, <laughs> we'll talk about Luke. that. Yeah. Yeah. I like the fact that Luke gets an episode, a useless, boring episode, and Moira doesn't get an episode is just like, I don't, like, it does not compute. Um, anyways, <clears throat> but the choice to do a, like a full Luke episode um, and a full Serena Joy episode and, and then to, to do that extra content with, of Glenn. Alexis mm-hmm. Bledel's the original of Glenn. Um, so you feel like you're going to come back to her at some point. Yeah. And, and then we don't. And so to end the season where they do, I think is in some ways encouraging because it means they're not going to try to stretch out the same dynamics between the characters. Yeah. I uh, I know uh, my co-host Noel was dreading what felt like the, like the inevitable Waterhouse episode that we were going to get. And uh, so glad we didn't get that. And yeah. maybe if they had stuck for another season in that same house, they would have felt the need. And maybe she'll go get, get some fun old torture and end up right back in the same house next season. Who knows? Yeah. But it, it wasn't an odd choice. I like, as far as the stuff with of Glenn, like I, I thought they handled her material really well. Mm. Um, and, and I thought that Alexis Pladell was, was terrific. She really surprised me, um, in her performance. Uh, but the, because we never came back to her, it did feel like if, okay, if you're not going to come back, back to her, you certainly could stretch this out quite a bit more. But to me, it more, it just speaks to this massive shift that we get that I guess we're supposed to just attribute to June's awareness. Because mm. in the in the earlier earlier episodes, she can't trust any of the handmaids. And yeah. then we get these girl power strides and we get oh. the you made us an army kind of things. Like oh. what happened to we can't even trust our partner and some of them are true believers. Like I guess we're supposed to just intuit that June was wrong about that in the first few episodes. And it was that was fear speaking and that was not actually her being aware of these other people. But they lost the sense of paranoia and dread mm. that that gave. And I, I think the show has really suffered for it. You know, I actually, that I didn't even think about that, but that's a really good point. And I think, 
I touched on this in my last recap for the New York Times, but I feel the show was probably at its strongest within the first like three or four episodes. It felt like really tight. And I think you're right. The paranoia really added to the story, but we never get to learn enough about the other handmaids to justify these girl power moments. Mm -hmm. We don't even really see much resistance amongst them or camaraderie. So it's kind of like weird, you know, like uh, with the last episode and Janine is supposed to get stoned. Right. And of Glenn number two suddenly becomes like radicalized and she's like, We can't do this, you guys. I was like, Oh my god, you've got to be kidding me. She would Even be dragged though, away like, immediately. Yeah, it make it also makes no sense for how her character has been, which has been she's bought the company line because she's just happy that, you know, she has a place to stay because she used to be an addict and all this other stuff. So there's nothing about there's nothing it makes no sense. Character wise, it makes no sense. But it's like the show really wanted these strong girl power moments and didn't really know how to get there. So it just jumps from, oh, June can't trust anybody to, you know what, actually? Sisterhood. Uh, <laughs> which it, which actually really bothered me because I felt it was dishonest because there are some women who would, of course, completely buy the company line and just maybe not even buy it, but just be like, you know what, I don't want to get hurt, so I'm just going to suffer through all of this. Yeah. And I think actually most of us would not know how to resist in moments like that. We wouldn't, especially when violence is always around the corner. So I think it should have kept that aspect and then maybe chose like one or two handmaids who were a part of May Day, like Auckland, and just develop them as like and see how see how they would navigate that sort of dynamic versus I don't know, this girl power shit really bothered me, I think. Cause I felt it it's sort of an easy uh, way to get praised, mm -hmm. but it doesn't feel really fully honest with the story or how it presents its politics. Also, the music choices with these girl power moments were a trip to me. I think the music on, the, like the soundtrack for the show, I think is one of the most galling uses of music I've seen on TV <laughs> in a while. Like having Nina Simone's feeling good playing while they're walking down the street together after not stoning Janine, who is probably still going to die. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing. I'm like, they ended on like, oh, hey, they didn't fuck her up. But I'm just like, well, she's still probably going to die. Yeah. Actually, most of you guys are probably screwed because of doing this. And it just, I don't know. It doesn't really think about the consequences of this. Also, for a, a, a society as controlled as Gilead, these people get away with, like, a lot in ways that I'm like, how wasn't June caught, like, way earlier? Because she's kind of a dumbass sometimes. <laughs> she trusts everyone with stuff while talking about how she shouldn't. Like, none of yeah. the other handmaids <laughs> are, are are untrustworthy or are true believers or have been Stockholm syndromed or just been beaten enough that they're yeah. too afraid to not be complicit. Or um, the Martha, she gives the Martha the letters. It's like... What? Yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. It, and what's like, in the water at Glenn's house, by the way, that the, the, the two Mayday people we know of are both of Glenn? I don't know. Yeah. That's a good question. Well, and I also, don't know. And it, the, when you're talking of the, the stoning with, with Janine, anyone who was actually strongly committed to the cause, like Mayday, would not be making waves, would not be drawing attention to herself, would not be outright, out, like outwardly resisting in that way because that's a great way to get yourself killed caught or exposed 
certainly they're going to be looking for someone who's involved with Mayday. You know, if, if, if you, if you did what of Glenn two does in this finale, you'd be a, have a beacon right on you to, you know, interrogate that person, see if they're connected to anything. It's just, yeah, I agree that this season, I think it started really terrifically, really well. And then Mm -hmm. we got to the middle, like the first four episodes I thought were terrific. Then there's a little shakier episode six then we get the luke episode what is going on and then yeah. the last stretch of episodes i thought was especially the last two i thought were much improved but by that yeah. point they had made some choices with their world that i didn't i just didn't I just didn't buy i think if you're gonna have a, if, if you have elizabeth moss contracted for seven seasons why are we at jezebel's twice in the first season yeah that's which is funny because in the book jezebel's only appears once so this is an it's I think also like you can split the season by like the first half really caring about June's interior life and really um toiling that land for the tension and the emotional respect and like really focusing on details and then it becomes really plot driven because you can tell they really wanted to get to that end point from the book when they probably should have just found because her story has changed so much and she's such a different character that 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 i don't even buy that ending also like it doesn't really fit this the story and i think the show really relies on the power inherent to the plot which is you know of course we're going to be moved by this story about uh the super structured society that's totally christian right-wing craziness and and women being raped every month and all of that. But it actually doesn't really build on the power of that story. And the world building itself is a little nonsensical the more you think about it, because too many of these characters make dumb decisions that would have had them caught already. And you're right. The June giving the Martha um, named Rita the letters makes no sense, because that woman, if anything, she seemed like somebody who would not make waves why would you do that? Mm-hmm. I don't know. She just, uh, they want June to be like this, this almost, I think they like sort of developed her to be a sort of Katniss figure, right? Mm-hmm. This like, you know, lone, pretty little white woman finding a way to resist the powers that be, but she's so dumb. I don't buy it mm-hmm. because you're right. No one would actually be that ostentatious with their radicalism if they wanted to survive. Because let's be real, if she wasn't played by Elizabeth Moss, she would be killed by now. Yeah, she would be very dead if she was not the main character. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I also, before I forget, I did want to mention the music because it was such a shift for me. I loved, like, one of the highlights of my TV watching this year was the music cue at the end of the pilot. Oh yeah, uh, it was so powerful. It was such a mm-hmm. great re like int- it was the first introduction of American pop culture that we would associate yeah. with um, as audience into the show. It was yeah. th- this throwback to you know the '60s and '70s kind of feel mm-hmm. to the music, and 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 after the scoring throughout the the first episode and everything else to then have that choice like it worked it was Mm. so powerful it worked so well it was such an amazing Mm. amazing moment and then as the the music choices went on i know a lot of people really loved them but i was i I, I was drawn out and and i think because it was again it spoke to the the disconnect between what they had earned as a show and what they wanted these moments 
these musical moments to be celebrating and and um, commemorating, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. So yeah, I. I it's it's such a turn. <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, it's a really. Hmm. Yeah, the show is very strange to me. I think just watching all of it, because um, there is like a profound disconnect. I think between you're right, what it's earned what it shows and what it believes it is. Like you can tell they feel that they're creating this like really powerful story. It's marketed as this almost like feminist radicalism, but that doesn't, there's no real follow through with that. Like, and I want to know, what did you think of the Luke episode? Because I think that's when it became hard to deny that the show was sort of not building on what it should. So what did you think of it? I thought it was bad. I thought it was not good. <laughs> like, like the Serena Joy episode, at least there was some interesting stuff going on. The the yeah. choice to de-age both of those characters, Waterford and Serena Joy, uh, I thought they, they they drew some really interesting parallels in her episode and gave some, mm-hmm. basically some justifications for that choice by allowing a more direct parallel between her and June. And so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I see what you're doing here. You know, fair enough. Maybe I'm not interested in Serena Joy's perspective, but... You know, yeah. I get why you did this episode. Then we get the Luke episode, and it's exact. It's like every fugitive narrative we've ever seen in any movie or any TV show. Yeah. There's nothing there that I hadn't seen before, and we didn't. We got to watch him learn stuff we already know, and he reacted the way we reacted when we learned it when we were watching. That's not interesting television. Why? Why? Why was this? I yeah. Like, I would have done a, a Moira episode, and I would have stuck it in the middle of the two Jezebels, so that when you see her yeah. Jezebel, it's, Jezebel's, it's a, you get that impact of seeing mm. her again, but then you get to see her, what actually happened to her, and so then when you see her again, and she's broken, you can understand why. Yeah. Instead of just having her be broken so that June can give her a pep talk so she can, you know, go yeah. be a badass again. Like, I don't know, I think they really missed an opportunity there, and I mean, I don't, the the actors didn't do anything to really raise the material, no. but uh, yeah. yeah. So, anyways, I've been monologuing. What did you, what did you think if people haven't I read your review? Hated that episode so much. It bothered me on a lot of levels. And the showrunner Bruce Miller loves to talk about the actor who plays Luke and praises him. So it's obvious they just really like this guy. Mm-hmm. And and Bruce Miller, you can sort of tell. I think that this show is run by a man. Um, because his interest in the dudes is, like, hilarious to me. Like, the whole, like, we get so much Nick backstory in the episode that Moira comes back, and I'm like, mm-hmm. that's sort of insulting to me. Yeah. Uh, but with the Luke episode, uh, my editor at Vulture, Gazella Mommy, she said, uh, and I put it in my New York Times recap, I quote her, she says it reminded her of a Walking Dead episode, and it totally does, yeah. just like without zombies, even visually. And I thought... You know, okay, if you're going to do a Luke episode, use it as an opportunity to really show how this resistance is working, right? Like, how 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 is this resistance coming together? Because that's the part I was really curious about and thought, since they were so interested in, like, radicalizing uh, June, that we'd see more of how the resistance works on its own. But not really. Like, we see a ragtag group of people. None of the actors are really good. That's another thing. Like, why didn't they just show, uh, you know, skip ahead to the Little America part? Like, you know, there's this Little America enclave in Canada, which is an interesting idea. So how are the people who were able to escape Gilead living? I love even really just the visual that. of the, yeah. like, the arch with the, the Canadian flag and the American flag. Like, little yeah. touches like that 
could have been very interesting. And what, especially with the little image or the like, the the snapshot we got of what was happening in Mexico through that ambassador, and mm-hmm. and how is the rest of the world? That was our opportunity to see how the rest of the world was responding to how much information gets out, how much is actually known, how much is believed, and how much yeah. is like how how bad is this global reproduction like issue that yeah. that this is sort of allowed to happen sort of by other cultures yeah yeah it's i that's a that's another thing with choosing to open up the store beyond june means your world building is going to have to be like really strong because the moment you open it up beyond june you open it up to a lot of questions how have other countries allowed it to be okay that this is happening in america especially mm-hmm. because there there's been like little hints of, you know, we'll hear Fred Waterford say something, oh, like an aunt escaped and talked to some newspaper or stuff like that. And it's like, so the rest of the world is aware on some level, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, they would have to be. Like, it doesn't make sense for the world to be completely in the dark. I don't know. It just, uh, that's why I think opening it up beyond June for the first season is was a little shaky, um, especially with the world building. And also Luke isn't interesting. And Luke and June's love story is not interesting. It's not, it's not, it's not. I straight don't give a rat's ass about them. <laughs> and they try to make it seem so beautiful and engaging, like, oh God, look at him take off his wedding ring and leave it on the on the, you know, on the hotel uh nightstand because he's cheating on his wife, which they sort of didn't want to really deal with. Like they're like, oh yeah, that's happening, but let's like not really touch mm-hmm. on that at all let's also not really touch on the racial politics of this marriage because apparently like america became post-racial in in the <laughs> like future that. <laughs> yeah which and it's funny because bruce miller in several interviews when asked about it like said a lot of eyebrow raising things like well the evangelical movement has become more integrated not true uh or and he was like i just believe that fertility would trump everything and I laughed at that, and I'm like, please talk to, please read the narratives of enslaved black women because we've learned that that's not true. But in an outtake from an interview he did with my Vulture colleague, um, E. Alex Young, he he says that they were aware that this story is totally trading in the same sort of ideas of what enslaved black women dealt with. And that they just made the decision to not deal with race because they felt their story didn't need to. Like, nothing in the story. And I, like, I cackled because I was like, that makes zero sense. Um, And I obviously wrote about this for Vulture and I have a lot of feelings about it uh, because I think there is something very troubling about taking the narratives of enslaved black women, because that's like, you know, the, sh- uh, the book and the show obviously are trading in a lot of different historical references, Salem witch trials, um, you know, female, uh, genital mutilation, which still goes on. Um, and, and it's different on the rise ideas in America like, too. And yeah, Christian, right. Which is frightening. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, how the Christian right is operating now is mm-hmm. obviously a parallel, but, you know, despite what Margaret Atwood likes to act like, she likes to ignore this, but everything the handmaids deal with is a very clearly an echo of enslaved black women being named after your owner, taken away from your children, not being able to read or write or congregate, 
All of those are things that enslaved Black women de um, dealt with. All of those are things that like Black women today are still aware of, and in many ways, we're still dealing with the repercussions from. Um, and so, and it's also kind of weird because Moira is set up in the beginning as being the actual radical one, right? She's the one who's like carving stuff into the, you know, bathroom stall. And she's the one who asks the aunt's questions. But then when we see her again, she's, like you said, broken. But without seeing, like, the show loves flashbacks. So it's weird that they don't give her some so we can see what broke Moira. Just hearing her say in like two minutes, what happened is sort of insulting because we, you know, her, she was considered such an important character to June's emotional life in the beginning of the series. And then it's like the, the writers wanted kudos for having a black woman. And so they didn't really develop her in the way that she needed to be. I really, that storyline like really bothered me. Well, yeah. And even just on an acting level, level Samira Wiley's amazing. She's so good give her something else to do because she's bringing so much to this yeah. with very little on the page very um, little yeah no it would have been like I, I i'm i'm of two minds i'm glad they didn't just cast a bunch of white people and yeah because that would not that's not the answer but the the to say that it's a choice between whitewashing the cast or just having the entire world just never in you know deal with race yeah. or take the approach of the book is one option or or uh, the racially blind casting is the other option. No, that's mm. a false dichotomy. You didn't need to just, I mean, especially they felt very comfortable taking certain liberties with the novel yeah. and, and not others. So everything they're doing here is a choice. And so like it was the most galling to me. Um, so later with Moira too, but for the first time it really bothered me um, what they were doing or not doing, I should say in regards to at least attempting to show something about the the racial like mm. culture in 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 Gilead was when we have the episode where they're talking about selling handmaids into sex slavery <laughs> reproductive mm -hmm. slavery in other countries it's like you're having an episode about restarting slavery in America and you're yeah. not going to even call it that's that that's a good point yeah that's a really good point you know and so one thing that I think makes a world building muddled racially is when you start to notice that there's actual men of color as commanders. And I'm like, how the hell does that work? Mm -hmm. Like, I sort of don't buy that these white dudes would really even allow black and Asian men to have any sort of power on their standing. So it made me wonder, like, it, it just brought up so many questions. Like, and they, you know, the show, I mean, Gilead, it has such a caste system. I totally could buy if they created a caste system even within handmaids. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, white handmaids are more prized than the other... You know, like, if they had, like, some sort of racial hierarchy, even doing... Touching on that would have, like, alleviated some of my questions because I do not buy that these white people want children so badly that they forgot about their racism. Like, mm -hmm. they're just, like, cured of racism. Yeah. hundreds of years of racism in America and just all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, we can't have children. So, you know, which, and, and you bring it up with, um, when you talked about how, how are other countries dealing with it? Obviously it seems that Mexico's in a really black, bad place, but I'm wondering if other countries are actually doing okay. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, are there other places in the world where they like, yeah, maybe their, uh, fertility rates dipped but not that dramatically. So they're like sort of survived. I'm really curious about that. 
Yeah. Well, and then maybe that's something they'll get into in maybe. Canada, you know, in the next yeah. season. Since we're definitely going to be seeing Canada again. Uh, but yeah, even if it was just not, not like a formal system, but just... Mm-hmm. St- just so an issue like the racial tensions and divide in America does not mm-hmm. go away because of a revolution. Because these are still the same people who were there. It's like it's not like these are brand new group people who've never been to America before and were flown in. Like these are still the same people that made up the previous society and the previous culture. And yes, the craziest ones have the guns, yeah. but. Like the the idea that there wouldn't be or like like maybe the women of color who are fertile are praised and they're they're part of the handmade class but mm. because they they that's such a prized thing but we see the other we see the Marthas and we see the the wives you know still condemning the handmaids as sluts even though yeah. theoretically they're so praised so like even if if they on paper they say mm. that everyone's is like post racial we're all equal. There should still be an actual. There should there should be a discussion. There should be a awareness that this mm. stuff doesn't go away. So it's like yeah. we're just so grateful to have a baby, even if it's a baby of color. You know, like like even yeah. just something like that. You know, or I, I don't know the, the idea that there it really makes no difference doesn't come up at all. Or in in the the reading your article that that quote from the showrunner that well we just didn't feel like it came up in this season it wasn't really it didn't really apply to what we were doing for this season it's like okay well then you didn't watch your own show yeah you certainly didn't think about it no i like to call quotes like that white nonsense because that's (laughs) bullshit um especially because you know with the jezebel's episodes i'm like you have a black woman a black queer woman forced to have sex with men and probably do I mean she's she's raped and probably forced to do some heinous stuff to fill these men's fantasies and she's in a club called Jezebel's and Jezebel was a stereotype about black women being um, more sexually adventurous and crazed sex drives that has existed since slavery because that's how white women viewed us as like you know animals um and you don't deal with race. It's such a weird, I was like, cause I was like, I knew they were going to do the Jezebel thing. Mm-hmm. And so, but I was like, they have to, address, they have to say something. Otherwise this is kind of weird. Um, yeah. But they didn't. It just, and it made it like, also, what did you think? Um, I have two questions for you. What did you think of uh, the depiction of Jezebel? And then I'm going to ask you something about Fred Waterford, because I have some thoughts on that dude. <laughs> Uh, I thought that uh, just on a purely aesthetic level, it it was an interesting choice. I thought it looked nice. It looked cool. I don't think it ties with the name Jezebels very yeah. strongly, um, yeah. but I think they weren't going for something distinct. Mm. They were going for just a taste of a particular slice of the old life, yeah. and and that's what they wanted to go for, um, and just quickly like the the notion that something like a club named Jezebel's doesn't have any racial implications is just a really lovely example of white privilege it's nice to mm. be able to not think about yeah. the, the lens and the, like the racial implications of some mm. of your choices because you are the person you are the the in my case super super white person um who's in the majority <laughs> and benefits yeah. from that so you don't have to you're not confronted with 
the the way things are slanted in your favor like yeah just it that that's just not i don't think it's intentional on his part mm-hmm. i think he means well yeah. but that's why you need to have you know I, and i haven't looked at the the makeup of the writer's room but it, i'm kind of doubtful that there's a lot of representation in this writer's room do you know um it's there's no women of color or people of color at all like there's lots of wim- white women yeah which you know i think as critics we need to have more honest conversations about inclusivity because i think people are really way too obsessed with casting mm-hmm. they get they talk on and on and on about getting actors of color cast and roles and whatever that's all well and good okay but we need more people of color producers directors writers and cinematographers also mm-hmm. um so i think that you know watching handmaid's tale was just a sort of reminder that yeah it's great that you know more shows are casting people of color but a lot of them are doing this whole weird colorblind thing where it's like we're just going to cast some actors of color but we're not really going to talk about how that may affect our story mm-hmm. um and I think that's a big problem because I think a, a woman of color, especially a black woman, would have approached the story very differently. Uh, I mean, if I was given the opportunity to adapt The Handmaid's Tale, I would have made June a black woman, mm-hmm. which would immediately change the narrative in some dramatic ways. Like, if you're really going to go there with casting people of color, then go there. Don't just cast them as, like, the best friend and the hus- dumbass husband that no one cares about. Um, I can't stand Luke, but <laughs> I'm curious how next season is going to go because the waterfers are so important to the mm-hmm. story. And I'm like, I have no idea what, the, I, I kind of think it may be a mistake to, to have done it as multiple seasons instead of a mini series, because I don't think these writers have proven strong enough to sort of build on this world on their own because now it's going to be a whole new territory like I guess you know we have no idea what's happened to June maybe she has been saved by Mayday and she is pregnant so that may give her I don't know she'll probably still be tortured but not in a way that would like kill the baby Mm -hmm. but who knows I don't know we'll see yeah, that's yeah. the thing is because any any torture they want to or any punishment they want to inflict on her will affect the baby through raised hormone levels and things. Yeah. And so it depends on what they believe around mm-hmm. that, whether they are scientific or not. Because, of course, back in the day, people yeah. believed that if you read a shocking and terrifying story, that maybe is why your kid, while you're pregnant, maybe that's why your kid is autistic. Because you shouldn't yeah. have read that scary yeah. story. You know? So, like, who knows even what they believe around, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, that, about what can impact and why there there are these reproductive issues. If they're blaming mm-hmm. the handmaids, in this case, and they want to shield her from everything so she can be in a happy little safe bubble so that and then as soon yeah. as the kid's out of her, do what you want with her. Like, who knows? It could go a lot of different ways. Um, as for the decision to have this be a continuing story, I get it. Mm. Hulu wants their own show. They want their like big prestige show that they still don't mm. quite have. And true. everybody wants to make lots of money. And mm-hmm. Elizabeth Moss wants to keep playing this interesting character and mm-hmm. the prestige that comes with another, you know, really terrific performance right on the he- right on the heels of Mad Men. Um, but this is a really potent, powerful story to adapt if you do it well. 
Yeah. And if you just keep going, you're just going to have diminishing returns. So I'm not particularly through. I, when I, I was very puzzled when I found out that it was a continuing thing. I was like, Same. Why? why? Um, but, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll do something interesting. My 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 go-to example for that is, of course, um, Hannibal, the TV show, which mm. I adore. And mm. um, despite my problems with that finale. Um, <laughs> but um, that was a show that I was convinced would be terrible. Why would anybody want to make that show? And then Brian Fuller and the team over mm. there proved me wrong immediately with that amazing pilot and kept finding, I was like, how, there's no more story. How do you do more story after season two? And then they had a terrific third season. So mm. maybe they'll come up with something and I look forward to being wrong. I love being wrong about Same. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is, again, it's some odd, there's some odd choices. And certainly when I found out that the season or the series, it was not more than one season when it got renewed and everything, I was like, well, okay, I definitely don't expect them to end the season where the book ends because that like then you're completely on your own there's a lot they can do within the world of the waterfords if they want to certainly especially with having a couple episodes each season follow mm -hmm. other characters like if they had an episode each season follow a different handmaid you know maybe you have a very different experience and they sort of did that with janine this yeah. season sort but, of, yeah but but still yeah I, I i think this jury's out on it we'll see what they do but it, I started the season very confident in these these writers and these showrunner, mm -hmm. the showrunner, and yeah, did not end the season with the same with the same confidence. So I'm yeah. I'm kind of torn. I am torn too. I do think uh, the Handmaid's Tale is really instructive on how we talk about, interpret, and watch media that bills itself as feminist. Because even though the actor said some curious things on that one panel, the yeah. show has purposely marketed itself as, like, feminist. And as this sort of cure or pop culture solve um, for the issues we're sort of dealing with today. Has it actually shown that? No, because I think it's replicating a lot of the same problems we deal with, namely white feminist nonsense. Um so it'll be interesting to see where the story goes, and I'm curious if they know how they want this show to end, or did they just, like, sign up for more seasons and were like, okay, we'll figure it out as we go. We'll find out. We'll see. Do you think we'll see more of the Waterbirds? Like, I, for me, Serena Joy is enough of a distinct character that I could certainly see her popping up again, um, if only because she knows where Hannah is. Yeah. And that she could know that, that, that um, you know... Offred, in her opinion, June is gonna come for Hannah at some point, and June mm. has her bait her air quotes baby. So if she just... yeah her her baby yeah. okay Serena Joy yeah ass but I do her. think that Fred is such a non entity of a character by the end of the season. I mean more than Luke, but that's saying nothing. Yeah. Um, that I like. Why would you bring him back? Well, I actually like this is liked isn't the right word but his creepiness sort mm -hmm. of i think works because i totally believe that men in a world like that would totally take advantage of their power and he does it routinely but then he likes to act like he's actually helping june mm -hmm. which is a, you know this benevol benevolent sexism sort of dynamic um i do find the dynamic between him and june curious especially because like there's this moment in the finale where um he asked her, so is that my baby? And then, you know, she lies and says yes. And he says, you're really good at that. 
which means that he, and I totally figured this, that he's known this entire time. Every time she lies, he knows, because she's not a good liar. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Moss is a good actress, but June is not a good liar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that sort of dynamic interesting. And I, and I kind of would want to know their fates, because is it going to be something like what happened to, to Commander Putnam because of his um, questionable involvement with Janine, where he loses an arm? Is is um, is Fred going to be punished that much? Are they going to weasel their way out? I mean, I'm sort of curious because, I mean, I feel like you can't ignore their presence because they were so important. And also Serena Joy. Is Serena Joy going to use Fred's mistake as a way to gain more power in the household? Because um, she gets kind of bold towards the end, mm-hmm. being in his office and everything. So I... It's weird because I think the way the story ends, no matter what June's fate is, she's not going to be back in the Waterford household. They mm-hmm. wouldn't. They just wouldn't do that. Even um, I have a feeling it's going to be that it's actually Mayday that is helping her. Because mm-hmm. I mean, how they do Nick in the show is not to me ambiguous where his um, his uh, allegiances lie. I think he does really care about June, so it wouldn't surprise me if it's Mayday that saved her and now she's going to become this little Katniss figure and mm-hmm. like she's carrying another man's baby. And so she connect reconnects with Luke and a bunch of crap. No one cares about. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but it's hard to ignore the water for it. They're so important to that world and that story. And I'm in your right. Serena Jory knows where Hannah is and you know, June wants to get her child back. So I don't know how that's going to work. Yeah. I don't know how they would. Cause on one hand, the story does not need the Waterfords anymore with June, like, sort of disconnected from them. But on the other hand, it would feel kind of weird to not know where they ended up, at least a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, especially Serena Joy. I'm curious what she's going to do because she's diabolical. So I don't know. Yeah. I'll tell you a character I actually surprisingly care quite a bit about is the the chef, the Michelin star chef. <laughs> I like her a lot. Isn't she great? <laughs> I think she was like... I don't know. I really liked her also because I was like, okay, so that's a woman who had to figure out how to like have some small bit of joy in this fucked up world. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, if I was faced with the choice of doing, being a handmaid or being in Jezebel, this may sound weird, but I think I would choose Jezebel's mm-hmm. because I don't want to carry some other person's child. Like the idea yeah. that I think it's like an extra injustice and so it makes sense that there would then be, like, women who, like, the chef. I don't know. I really liked her because she just had a sense of humor. And you could tell she was just, like, trying to find little bits of joy where she could, which was, you know, yeah, cooking in this weird Jezebel's place. And obviously she has fucked Nick in the past. They had <laughs> something going on. So I was like, I don't know. I found her really fascinating, yeah. you know? And it makes me wonder about the people we see on the margins that we don't spend a lot of time with. Yeah, um, they hugely yeah. humanize her in yeah. only a few scenes, but it's, you can tell that she's very aware. My life could be way worse. Yeah. <laughs> At least I get to this. I'm not being raped every month or yeah. all of the time at Jezebel's and I still get to cook stuff. Yeah. So, and, and you, you know, she must see horrible, horrifying things all the time. Just yeah. being like in the kitchen's meeting, that's probably where they take the bodies out, you know, yeah. through the back. And so her just taking those little moments where she can and, and that rapport with Nick, where she knows that she can 
be more relaxed that they have some sort of history and she can just kind of you know she doesn't need to constantly be on alert with him the way she would probably with a lot of the other eyes yeah drivers um so yeah the, like the 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 specificity yeah, maybe a chef and jezebels i that's what if i had to be <laughs> yeah just make oh me, my god or make me i don't know fuck something like that because actually but i mean there's no real good options when you know it's all but terrible so I feel like with Jezebel's, yeah, you don't have to carry a child. You know, they've sterilized you. Mm-hmm. But Moira does remark that you really only have like a few years there because you probably are getting so worn out sexually that then the men don't want you. Yeah. And so then you're like, so you really have less time. Mm-hmm. And then also just imagine the things that those men are doing to those women because I, they don't I, look at them. I, it's probably absolutely disgusting. Yeah, it's, well, because, yeah, well, it's because that's they're going there for things that they can't do with the handmaids for, you know, we get legally at least and stuff that the, the wives don't or would won't. never. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Who oh. knows? Oh, and God. even just for power and the way that this society feeds abusive, toxic, yeah. Yeah. vile power. Of course, they would have yeah. really... Um, messed up appetites or the people with those appetites would be the ones it seems to me that would be more likely to rise to prominence and power the people who'd be more okay with abusing others and with really enjoying that kind of pain yeah anyways that's been a cheerful (laughs) digression um are there any closing thoughts you have about the season any performances you wanted to mention or we've been pretty harsh on the show i think but deservedly (laughs) so i think deservedly so yeah um but are there any other elements that you want to either praise or or bring up for us to discuss um i really want to uh praise ann dowd as aunt lydia I yeah. thought she was really, really fascinating, especially as, when you see her being kind to Janine, which brings up a lot of questions about who this woman really is. She's the character who I kept wondering about because it's like the aunts get have probably a level of power that you know women don't really get to experience in Gilead. I mean, wives wives kind of struggle because their husbands aren't really, you know, they can do stuff to handmaids and whatever, but they don't really have power. But the aunts and their cattle prods and their, their weird control, like they seem to kind of get off on that, but then she's really nice to Janine. And so it's this really weird tension. And I think she has probably one of the most fascinating performances in the series. No, definitely. And because you could tell that she is a believer, capital yeah, E. complete believer. But that also means she believes these women are holy gifts from God. Which is insane. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and Anne Dowd is amazing, which is why she's able to make that all come together in such an effective way. Yeah. And also, I, it's obvious that it's not women who have fertility problems, it's men. Mm-hmm. Which is a fascinating dynamic. Because yeah. women are getting blamed for it. So I'm really curious if they'll kind of explore that, you know, that dynamic more. Mm-hmm. I, d- I did think that was smart uh, for it to be like, oh, yeah, it, like it's very obvious that it's the men who can are infertile. No, you know, they, they is not women. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious if they're going to kind of develop that more. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. 
Yeah, I yeah. thought that was fascinating. Well, especially with them setting up to export handmaids. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, like, we get, like the little moment we get with, he's Donnie in my head, because it's the same actor from... <laughs> I know! He's, that scene, <laughs> I will Black. scene was amazing. I, I think that's one of my favorite, like, see, scenes in the show, because mm-hmm. I was not expecting it to be him, because I, yeah, I recognize him from Orphan Black, and I'm like, no, Donnie, what are you doing? Alice is going to kill you. Uh, <laughs> But then also it's just so tense because you don't really see him for most of it. And it's yeah. just like, oh, so this is really how handmaids are getting pregnant because they're actually having sex with men who aren't commanders. And they mention it briefly, like some sort, some, some reason why commanders are probably unable um, to impregnate women. Or just less likely, yeah. Yeah, so I'm wondering if they're going to like touch on that more because I think one of the most interesting aspects of The Handmaid's Tale is not even its main story, but the stories alongside it that they mm-hmm. hint at, like aunts trying to escape, um, or these little uprisings that happen that are thwarted. And I'm like, I want to see that could be a season in and of itself, a set of aunts or handmaids working to kind of create an uprising, but it ends in failure. And like, how does that look? I'm curious. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Sounds like you just pitched a new fabulous second season for the show, Angelica. So I would definitely watch it. Yeah, I should be on the writing staff. Definitely. I'm great now. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast this week and talking Handmaid's Tale with me. Uh, where can our listeners find you and your work online? There, I was like, I paused because there's so many places, but <laughs> where should they go? Uh, I always recommend people to follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's my first and last name, so Angelica Bastian. Um, I post most of my work there, uh, but for the most part, if you want to find me, I'm at Vulture. Vulture is where I write the most as a contributing writer. So, Great. Well, thank you again so much, and thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 